You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome back to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm Jeremy, and with me is our now regular correspondent from the UK, Harry. Hello. Yes, yeah, I feel like I've become a, a sort of fixture over the last few weeks and months. So, yeah, it's exciting to be back. Thanks for having me. No, no problem at all, Harry. I was just wondering, actually, how many episodes it takes for you to become an actual member and then we own the rights for your podcast as well. I'm not sure. I don't know whether that's allowed to subsume your uh, uh, the Entmoot podcast into your monolithic beast that is the Great Green Dragon, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe in time. Maybe in time. Uh, to be honest, maybe after Articon, if I manage to have a chat with uh, any, any of you, then you'll officially be appearing on my podcast. So it'll be like a complete crossover, and it'll all be fine. I think that's the case. I think it will be. It'll just become one podcast, and we all just talk at the same time. <laughs> Talking uh, talking at the same time doesn't always work in podcast form, I found, but yes, <laughs> up for that. No, it depends how you do it. Now, we are here to discuss the the news, which is an errata, an FAQ, and designer's notes, whatever you want to call them, have just come out, and they've been a real talking point for our community because some of the changes are rather more than we're used to. Yeah, it, it it does feel like a probably the bigger uh, or the biggest of, of changes I've ever seen in a, a certainly in the Middle Earth um, rules. But in terms of just general, it's it's quite it's quite a big update to some some of the especially some of the more used uh, models and profiles in the game. So it's yeah, there's quite a big big change for certainly for some armies and some people anyway. Yeah, there definitely is, and it's it's exciting to to keep that talk going and keep the interest in the game and know that the designers are are really putting some thought into it. So. Regardless of what you think, it's good that we're getting some attention that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of. So, I'm partially. I don't really like FAQs because I don't like the fact that you need another document to actually play the game in the most up to date form. But on the other hand, it makes sense to include the community and include people and you know the massive amount of sort of testing that the uh, the community does by just playing it over and over and over again, and then just realizing you know what, all, as much as you've play tested things. Uh, it's clear that some things are developing as being, you know, too strong or whatever. Um, so it's nice to actually have a game that feels like it's up to date and makes it more balanced and makes it more fun for everyone. And that's ultimately what they're all about. I suppose FAQs is trying to make the game more fun and more playable for everyone. Yeah, I agree with you there. I have problems when they update uh, lots of points and profiles and things just to change them, uh, the errata especially. So uh, that concerns me because I've played game systems where, like the rules manual has become so far out of date that it's a pretty much a worthless document and you have to go through mm-hmm. piles of other documents to try and find the actual up-to-date rules. And some of them I had like changing almost weekly, it felt like, and it just drives a, a casual player away from the game. For people like us that play a lot, it's probably not the biggest deal, but there is a real fine line to how much you actually update and when. Yeah, I totally agree with that because, I mean, I'm taking part in a slow-grow league in my local community and uh, the FAQ is a bit of a confusion for a lot of the the newer players. They're like, oh, well, now I've got this book and I've got this Hobbit book and it's got some things in, but it's not up to date. So, like, is it really worth getting a Hobbit rule book, they're asking? And, and then you think, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. But then also you've got to make sure you've got the FAQs because... Uh, as we'll talk about, you know, things like the Iron Hills Ballista, it's like, well, it's not right in there anymore. And if you're trying to play it in the old rules, then uh, it, I guess it's it's slightly unfair. And I don't, I guess it's in a, in a friendly game. It's fine to play uh, play the old using the uh, unadjusted uh, original documents, as it were. But, um, but yeah, when you start getting in towards tournament play, having all these piles of paper at the side of the table is, uh, yeah, it's a bit frustrating actually for me. 
Yeah, I think it actually only really matters when you're playing groups you don't normally play with because as long as the two people mm. at the table are playing with with pretty much the same set of rules or the same expectations, it doesn't really matter what part or what edition you're playing. So we yeah. sometimes play with older rule sets just to, to bring back some of the scenarios and some of the old interactions. It doesn't really mm. matter as long as everyone agrees. It, now that there's so many people that play from so many different communities, it, it makes sense that we need this document that, that irons out some of the the parts that we're not playing the same and they're not in, interpreting in the same way yeah exactly that. and that's it and these i mean yes it, and it's not too difficult having a document at least it's free it's not like it's oh okay right well the you know the iron hills blisters are not working in the game so we're going to release out another hobbit book that will now replace everything else at least it's a free document that updates it rather than a whole new hardback book you have to buy for 30 quid or how much it is in dollars so oh a lot more than that <laughs> so let's go on to the first of all they've got the errata and the designer's notes we're going to look at the errata first for the actual mm-hmm. rules pack so this is the latest one uh, there's there's a lot in here we're just going to go through the changes and some of them will summarize and some of them will go into and and talk about them i'm glad we've got you on harry because uh, from from our point of view a lot of them are not really things that we've seen so it's interesting to see uh, your interpretation as well because i feel like some of these changes are very uk centric it, it may well be the case because I must admit there are some things that I thought, oh, this is this is almost almost targeting specific people I know, and and, and I wondered whether it is that, but uh, I, I'm sure it isn't. But uh, it, it certainly seems like some of these um, some of these rules do come up a lot, or some of these combinations of armies in particular come up a lot. So yeah, um, yeah. Do, do you want to fire away with the first thing, and we or should we just work our way slowly through them? I would love to go through them. I'm going to fire up at the first one, so I've got my page all ready to go. So the first yeah, one. Same is the errata. We've got heroic challenge. Add the following sentence to the end of the final paragraph, blah, 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 blah. What it says is, additionally, if the challenge is declined, the declining hero may not use stand fast for the remainder of the game. So you have a, a much harsher punishment for, for declining a challenge. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think this is probably to try and encourage more people to use heroic challenge, I guess. But I mean, I still don't think it's going to be used an awful lot because... I guess yeah, that's a downside. But the thing, the, the big weakness, I think, of heroic challenge is if you're calling heroic cha- challenge, you're spending a might point. The other hero just go if it can strikes and just smashes you into the ground. So it's like, well, what's the point? And I guess if you're doing it against a hero that doesn't have strike, then it's more worth it. But it's certainly a big downside um, if you decline that challenge. But um, yeah, it, it, it seems a relatively good idea, a good way of making that challenge more um, egregious for denying it, I guess. Yeah, I I, I want to disagree with you, but I don't, because I, I think that it's one that it's adds just another very obscure situation where you might want to use it, like you're something going against maybe a wizard or someone who's a high level, but isn't really going to fight. But even then, you're probably just going to try and kill them outright anyway. And Heroic Challenge feels like, even if you're going for them, a slow way of killing them, because you don't get all your friends to help out. And also, I mean, there's not there's not a lot of profiles with uh, with challenge anyway. Um, and I'm sure the ones that almost all the ones that have challenge have strike as well. And, and in those sort of situations, if you're going up against a hero of a higher tier, you just strike, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, yeah. I get it. Maybe we're, maybe we're maybe we're thinking uh, of it wrong, but it is like corner case situations, I think, where you want where you desperately need that extra might point back, or oh, I don't know. Um, yeah. One of our players um, locally, who's a very good player, Andrew, commented on it, saying that. It's sort of almost, I'm paraphrasing totally now, but like the missing link, it gives you another tactical option. It's going to make it work. And I know that he's been playing Rohan quite a bit lately. 
So my thought is that maybe for some of those like might refreshing type heroes, it might become an option that you can use just to try to get a hero to think twice about it. But I'm yeah. not sure that you'll use it for someone who has only two or three points of might. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair point actually. Yeah, but it's uh, it just it feels like a very very much corner case. I like the idea behind it, but I think it just needs a little bit refining personally the challenge as a as an option because it, it just doesn't feel like it's ever used. I don't think the only time I've ever used it was in a tournament uh, in which one of the sort of side, uh, extra VPs for um, or the extra rules of the tournament was one of the targets you have to do is is to do a call of her challenge, and I just called it because I had to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, look, if the errata said for Heroic Challenge, just remove this entry, I probably would have the same reaction to this one at the moment. It's, it doesn't really worry me at all. Yeah, I don't think it affects gameplay at all, yeah. if I'm honest. I mean, it might do occasionally, but very, very infrequently. And we could be wrong. We could, we could be coming back and apologizing in two months' time saying, yep, Heroic Challenge is the go-to action. Everyone calls it on every table at all times, so it's possible. I, I, we could... Yeah, we could. We'll have to apologise, and I'll be happy to do that if that's the case, uh, despite how difficult it is to talk to you uh, 12 hours uh, as a time difference. <laughs> yes, yes, you'll have to move. Uh, so <laughs> the next one we have for War Beast is that if the Howder is reduced to zero wounds, it is destroyed, and all models within the Howder suffer falling damage. Any models that survive are placed prone as close to the War Beast as possible. So basically, you can kill the Howder now. Yeah, and I feel like this was already the case, but I think what, what the problem, because I've played with the Mummock a few times um, since uh, the new edition, and I, th I think the pro they, they just seem to be a, a line missing uh, from the profile of the, the Mummock or from the War Beast thing that just said people suffer falling damage if the beast dies. And so, yeah, I, I think that's just addressing that, and that's how I've been playing it, that you suffer falling damage. But I think there's a weird situation in which, in the War Beast at the moment... There isn't actually the line that says people suffer falling damage if the beast has died. But um, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we just added it in anyway. So this it's good that it's clarified there if, if anyone's getting a bit confused by it. Yeah, it was always the beast dying, but the, the missing one was the howder dying. So we had a right, bit yeah. of a debate whether you can actually kill the howder or not and what would be the point of killing it. So it's good that it's just been in there if you do go and, and shoot it. Yeah, yeah, it. that makes sense. It makes oh, it's good, good addition, and that's useful to clarify. But it doesn't really come up much because even in the old edition, when you could, you never really went for the howdy. You either went for the beast or the actual models inside it. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say I, the only time you actually hit the howdy is usually when it's in the way, isn't it? Um, it yeah, you, you're rolling in the way hit, and it hits that instead. Absolutely. Okay, we move on to the one ring invisible. Whilst <sighs> invisible. Yeah, the ring bearer may move through friendly and enemy models, providing they do not end their move overlapping any part of another model's base. Brilliant, love it. Yeah, this. They, they, I'm sure that again. This, I'm sure this was something that the old ring ring rules that you could move through people, but oh, it makes it makes it so much more filthy. The uh, Frodo or, or whoever as uh, as a ring bearer, it makes them just that that ring that so much better, and it's already pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's that was really what was missing where, you, yeah, you just couldn't pass through models. I think you could pass through, uh, enemies could pass through you and you couldn't pass through them or something weird like that. But Yeah, it was a yeah, weird situation, definitely. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that's back in. It's still it's still a risk to put on the ring most of the times. I don't like the Bilbo's ring is absolutely risk-free, but I think the, the normal one ring, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I totally agree. And because if you just think in terms of, how it's seen in the films and the, you hear about it in the books, they you can they would be able to move through people, they dodge around, they bend bend their knees and skip under people's legs and arms and all that sort of stuff, and it makes sense. So it makes sense to be in there. I, I totally totally think it's good. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I've just got one that probably won't affect anyone next. Nature's Wrath. Yeah, this one, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, just, we'll skip over these pretty quickly. Enemy models within three inches of the caster are knocked prone instead of six inches. Just a minor three-inch change, which yeah. means... Yeah, not a huge difference. Which means, yeah, I mean, should we just skip on from this? Oh, um, maybe, maybe we no, should. I, <laughs> maybe we should. I, well, because uh, and we might as well lump in Wrath of Brunin as well, uh, because that's reduced to three inches as well. It's uh, the next uh, FAQ, and I mean, these seem these seem like they're massively targeting um, the, those Elven heroes. The uh, in particular, uh, I know a, a, a guy I played and who um, has featured in the past on. Um, uh, the Entmoot podcast about uh, and he won a tournament. Um, in fact, he's now uh, in the Ardicon Grandmasters final because he won the tournament mm-hmm. with this army, um, which was Elrond, uh, Arwen, and Radagast with a load of Rivendell knights. And it's Ed Ball, and he uh, he basically said that what works about this is the Wrath of Bruin and the Nature's Wrath, and it's now going to be a lot harder to. Well, I guess. It was half as effective, essentially, his the the sort of crooks on which his army is resting. So, um, this is a big deal. Yeah, it could be less than half as well because if you look at area, it's a lot less as well. This is one of those weird spells that we were actually sort of nicknamed this edition the the Bruinen edition or the Wrath of Bruinen really? edition because it was just like like most powers got worse. Almost every magic power got worse, and this one they decided to up make more common. And then the casters make it so it's very easy to get back your will. There's so many options mm. for that. And it's it, yeah, the combination of people that have uh, you know, if whether it's Elrond with Lindir or whatever, uh, you, oh, it's just it's filthy the the number of ways you can keep doing this over and over and over again, or have I don't know, was it Galadriel or Gandalf or whatever giving extra will to people? It's there's yeah, the combination we talked about the last time we had you on, where with Tom Bombadil and Arwen, it's just it's a pretty easy option. Mm. So, yeah, and and I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't personally played against loads and loads of people with this but i've played a, f- a few games and it's not i don't feel like it was a massive massively horrible thing i'm sure there were people listening who think it was screaming going oh my god it's horrible i hate playing this army but um i, I personally i didn't think it was terrible and if you look at um lee uh, the sort of winners of uh, various big uh, some of the bigger tournaments around here it's not like this army um or armies sort of going um going for full nature's wrath and full wrath of brune and are winning every single tournament. So it does seem maybe a little extreme, but um, I I guess there's the added, I guess the advantage, there's also the thing, well, if you're only casting within three inches, then you might, you're less likely to perhaps get a hero who can resist it. But it feels like a small advantage, small plus side to a person whose army is resting entirely on this strategy. I disagree with you a little bit there. I've had players, even on the old edition, just with the old Nature's Wrath knockdown, that have pretty much decided this is not the game for them because of that spell. Because they, you come mm. in and basically every model is like maybe affecting the one model around it. It's got its control zone. It's guarding that area. And then this model just overrides that entirely and just says, yep, yeah, your entire army is knocked down because you couldn't roll a six on a, on a will point. And you can't do much about it. And the fact that it could target your models in combat and not their own. And it just, it was such a strong spell that, that we've been talking about ways to, to bring it down for, for quite a while. And this is, I mm. think a good option for it. It means that you can set up better defenses against it. It means it's not going to take on your whole force. It means that, that maybe people won't just have this as a strategy or be one of their strategies, but not their main one. Yeah. I, I see your point. And, and don't get me wrong. Um, it, it does. It is very strong spell and it i think what's annoying about it is that it's quite easy to cast usually um so it's it, it does it does feel quite powerful in that sense but i mean 
like I say, I, I, I've seen plenty of um, people beat this army, and certainly the armies that have this, perhaps they're, you know, they're not always the best players. I don't know, but the the armies that have this haven't always won the big tournament. So it maybe over there, where, where you know, with with you, it's it's absolutely dominating every single scene and and it's ruining everyone's life. But um, here, I haven't certainly noticed a, a massive massive downside to it. But maybe that's just because people are like, oh well, we'll leave Ed to do it because Ed's absolutely storming to victory with it uh, uh, quite often but um and nobody else wants to touch whatever ed's playing <laughs> yeah we we have a bit of a tradition where the best players try to take something a little bit challenging and make sure that mm-hmm. they're not they're not just winning out with these combinations that are that are deemed the most powerful at the time so it's a lot of our more i don't know it's fair to say but our sort of more mid-tier players the ones that aren't always finishing top tier all the time that are taking it and the the top mm-hmm. players are basically coming up with strategies of how to beat it. I remember one of my armies. I had a basically a whole Castellan. The whole point of the Castellan was just to be there to resist Rafa Broaden. And it's oh great, yeah, yeah, because they've got like fifteen will or something, haven't they? That's a twelve a will, but it just seems twelve point. will. Yeah, to to be able yeah. to to buy a, a powerful combat model with the sole purpose of stopping a good spell from a part time spellcaster. Seems really weird because I wouldn't have even bothered about trying to stop Gandalf's spell or a Ringwraith spell. It was just the the part time elf lords that that are mainly fighters, but for some reason they've got this probably one of the more powerful spells in the game. Yeah, it, it definitely is one of the more powerful spells in the game, and there's no uh, there's no going getting away from that. But um, I, I suppose it's it's still it's still one of the most powerful spells in the game. I'd have thought, but yeah, it, it's been halved in its or like you say more than halved in depending on the area. Um, in its effectiveness now. So, I mean, I, I think, I, I see your point. Um, I feel personally that it might not be as necessary as other people are saying, but maybe that's just because I've yet to be massively um, destroyed by it. So uh, maybe I'll change my mind if I'd have played it, uh, played a few more games against them. Now, I heard a little um, interesting comment on one of our forums, and I don't think it's true, but I want to I want to just let you know about it anyway. One of the rumors we had was that that with, with the Articon, big international, well, it's it's turned into an international event coming yeah, up. Huge. Well, there's rumors that Jay, who won it last year, is thinking of playing Hobbits, and we know that Jay's got probably something to do with this document as well. There is. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you're hinting that he might potentially say, well, I've got 100 hobbits. I definitely don't want them all being knocked over. I know. Um, so I'm going to nerf these rules. I, I mean, I don't I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I know I, I, I know you, you're probably just uh, saying yes and jest anyway. But uh, I mean, like like I said, the, the, the army has doesn't seem seem to have been storming to victory every single time it's at a tournament. And. Um, and I think Jay's trying to redress a balance, although it is slightly suspicious, I must say, that Jay very rarely plays uh, with Rivendell from what I've seen. Uh, so I haven't ever seen him mm. use an Elven, uh, Elven Lord <laughs> on the table. Um, I think the only time I've ever seen him even play Elves, uh, although I don't obviously uh, follow him uh, closely and watch everything he does, um, he, he did play Lothlorien and won a tournament with that um, in the early part of the new edition. But uh. I've never seen him playing Rivendell or... And we'll come to this later. Or uh, I've never seen him play Iron Hills either. So, look, Ooh, make, make, make what you want of that. Uh, it may well be the case that he, he he hates these armies and doesn't want to take them and wants to nerf them to obscurity. But I suspect, actually, that uh, he's just trying to balance things out. And ultimately, a lot of people at tournaments, a lot of people do go over to Jay and sort of petition for uh, <laughs> for various different changes to the game. I do see it. Um, I see it in the sort of breaks between games, especially if Jay's finished his match. 
uh, someone will sort of sidle over and sort of say, oh, yeah, I just got absolutely uh, battered by uh, elves and yeah, that nature's wrath. God, it seems overly powerful. Or, you know, oh, those Iron Hills ballistas. God, they're so cheap, aren't they? Aren't they just so cheap, Jay? Jay, aren't they cheap? And then really? everyone then he'll like, oh, well, you know, a little bit. Yeah, you do get a little bit of that, definitely. I see. I do see these comments. You think? I think usually it's water off the duck's back that Jay kind of ignores it, but perhaps he might have just thought, actually, there are a lot of people coming and talking to me about this, or maybe he's thought, actually, these are quite powerful. I don't know. Mm, but you're that... right, he's certainly involved, and he certainly doesn't play these armies very often. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an interesting conspiracy theory, and I love conspiracy mm-hmm. theories. They're my favourite. Um, there's one conspiracy theory in The Lord of the Rings that basically Tom Bombadil is the Witch King, and the, the key point of this argument is you never see them at the same place at the same time. Now, I think that's very similar Ooh. to your argument that this is because Jay's never played Rivendell or the Iron Hills. I think you've gone to something there. This sounds like a good conspiracy with good evidence. I, I like this conspiracy theory, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll say what I've said. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay, we'll that's that. very interesting. So we've got theories that Jay is possibly the Witch King or Tom Bombadil, but definitely not a ballista. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Good, I like it, I like it. So the next one about ballistas, actually. Siege engines... Mm. An army or allied contingent may only include one siege engine for each hero with the heroic tier of fortitude or above that is taken from the same army list as the siege engine. So basically, for every time you want to take a siege engine, you need to have a fortitude, which is your normal standard captain as well. This is like an old rule, I think, with the army lists. Yeah, but the crucial uh, change is that it's from the same army list yeah. as the siege engine, I think. So, um, so yeah, before it was just the fortitude or above. But I think it's the subtle change is that you can't just sort of ally in a trebuchet or, in this instance, perhaps it's more focused at the, uh, <laughs> the ballista. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess that, and I think that's a good change. Um, because oh, great It makes change. no sense if you've got, um, you know, Thorin from the uh, Champions of Erebor or whatever, and then also uh, a siege ballista because it's just... What you know, it doesn't just doesn't make any sense uh, unless you've got an army of Iron Hills as well. I feel sorry for the Orc Siege Bow players because they've already got this rubbish siege engine that doesn't do anything, and now they're taking extra captains just so they could take more rubbish siege engines that don't do anything. <laughs> they, they, my heart goes out to you, and my respect to you, Orc Siege Bow, whatever it is, the the terrible one. I think I've got about four or five of those models actually from when we used to play sieges. Yeah, yeah they only get to see the battlefield when we're having a bit of a laugh. I, I, I'm desperate to take one because I really like the model, actually. it's And I, I really wanted to paint it, but, yeah, it's it's not going to ever hit. Anything. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it just just doesn't hit. Um, I mean, I, I played recently uh, Avenger Bolfer. I know how you love the, uh, the the name to the start of that. Uh, <laughs> the, the, not just any old Bolfer, the Avenger Bolfer. Yeah, um, it's a name that Bolfer. Yeah, just a bolt thrower. Uh, and it, it, that missed enough, so that poor old siege bow, so, you know. But there you go. Yeah, I think that that's a good change, though. I, I, I quite like that. Mm, yeah, I agree with that one. Yep, yeah, it makes makes sense. That's fine. And I, the only people who are going to be upset about it are the ones who are trying to get these weird combinations and things, and and they'll find a way anyway. These people who who do these combinations are very resourceful and are very good at it, so they'll find another way anyway. Yeah, yeah and I th- I think I have seen uh, armies where it has been literally an all hero army with a bolt thrower. Uh, with sorry, yeah, with a ballista. So yep. <laughs> definitely not with a model bolt, uh, with a ballista. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's a bit of an odd one to take. So maybe it's just trying to avoid having that weird kind of all hero 
bolt thrower list. I keep calling mm. it bolt thrower, ballistic. So next one, we've got some attacks on, on impossible allies and a person called Rob as well, which I feel sorry for Rob because he's been personally attacked in this example. <laughs> Rob, the filthy shade player. Yeah, yeah I, I'm going to uh, ask you who Rob is actually. Who do you think that is? Uh, I think I think it's almost certainly Rob, the Middle Earth manager, just because uh, they always do this. They always name people who are in the team. But Rob oh. doesn't really play shades that often, I don't think. So I think it's just an example thing. Okay, uh, okay. But yeah. Uh, so, so I go through this. Um, impossible allies, The uh, add the following rule to this. Mod may not benefit from the banners or banner effects of models from an army list that is impossible allies. Good. I mean, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, okay. If you're unlikely to be fighting with people, you're unlikely to care about their, them waving a flag and inspiring you. I like this one. This one I particularly like. I think it makes a lot of sense. It means you don't get that cheap impossible banner into things like the goblins and that that don't have access to them or anything like that. Right. So mm. I don't mind this one at all. It seems like a good one, but it's tagged in with another one on Impossible Allies that it says, when playing a game using Impossible Alliance, each section of the force will count as a separate army for the purposes of being broken. This means that you'll need to track breakpoint for each part overall be army individually, and then certain parts of the army are broken, therefore taking courage tests, while other parts aren't, and then your army will be considered broken at the end of the game. You'll concede victory points for being broken, uh, this one this one causes a little bit of problems, and there's a few ones here. And one has already been addressed for the Articon FAQ um, mm-hmm. for their yeah. one, and that's the only count for the end game when your army's broken, not just like one section of it, the whole thing like it used to be. So that's something that's been been an issue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can I, I can see that it's it, it's I mean it says here obviously it's mentioning the Rob the filthy shade play. And it seems like it's it's kind of saying, look, basically, we don't want you to put shades in any list other than an Angmar list, and uh, which is kind of, you know, reasonable, I guess. But um, just uh, the the thing it annoys me about is I, I already hate the breaking. I hate doing the maths. I hate having to come up with the numbers of all these things. It, it's adding a lot of bookkeeping yes. um, for uh, for this uh, this system. I mean, yeah, it's you don't often come up against impossible alliances. They're certainly not as uh, common as everything else but it, it does seem to add a lot of confusion um especially apparently the quite a lot of european players uh use your impossible alliances uh, it's more popular uh, on the continent than in the uk and um, maybe that's the case in australia i don't know but either way it, it it's not it's not that it's a bad idea um because i see what it's trying to solve that they're solving the problem of all right if you're putting a shade in then you've got another downside of having an allied shade in that's just the shade, shade sat on its own. But, man, um, it's just a lot of faff. So there's a couple things that, that this is. If it's just attacking shades, I think it's a really poor way of doing it because the shade, one of the issues with the shade is that when you break, it runs away. But now, mm-hmm. if you take a shade, nothing else, it doesn't break until you kill it. So even if your other part of the army breaks, you've got a bit of an advantage there. Your shade's not running away, you get it for longer. So that's that's True. a problem. You're giving it an advantage. Shade doesn't care about the banners. Shade doesn't care about heroics and that sort of stuff. So that's a concern there. And if it's for the shade, then fix the shade. If the shade's a problem, mm-hmm. then give a shade a rule that it only affects combats that have Angmar models in them or something like that. Don't give it a a don't don't make a global rule to attack uh, just just one model. Now it might not be. But I wanted to to read out one of the comments we got in the Green Dragon page about this. So personally. We never see the the impossible allies. Like people just don't take them here. But there are people who do, and I know that people design the armies around it. So Andy has said that basically, who's going to take red allies now? 
The banner and stand fast adjustment is great, but it didn't need to go that far. There are plenty of examples of red allies fighting alongside one another in Middle-earth, so I feel like the nerf is too much. Here are some examples. Battle of Fornost, where Minas Tirith, Arnor, Hobbits, and Rivendell fight together. Okay, that would be impossible for some reason. That seems nice themey choice. The Battle of the Black Gate, where eagles show up to fight Angmar's Men of Khandoom, which have no profiles yet. Sorry, So you need to use Dunlendings or something similar. And then he says, it cuts down a half the fun of building thematic lists that are a bit more obscure. Rules out a bunch of options. The Shade is clearly under the gun again, and I think unfairly so. Who's to say a Shade couldn't be from Minas Morgul? So here we are, loving Middle-earth and all things Lord of the Rings, but being governed to using lists that Jay deems thematic or acceptable for the tournament play, rather than actual lore or the feel of Middle-earth itself. Uh, end rant. The other changes are great. And he says, rest in peace, Arwen. It was fun while it lasted. And he laughs. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I like the, uh, the final note about Arwen, but yeah, I, I kind of I, I'm struggling to disagree with that, and and I, I think perhaps um, perhaps your your community seems to love doing this sort of stuff, like doing lots of thematic lists that are perhaps delving into um, you know the the, the Silmarillion or whatever as well, mm. uh, and using profiles that um, uh, for different things like you mentioned the Dunlendings, and that that's fine. Um, I do think it, it does seem to be a bit of a way to deal with shades if that's what it's trying to deal with i mean i guess it could make sense in a in a historical context in a sense well if you're allying with someone you really uh, don't trust them and half of your guys have been smashed then you're like all oh, right okay we're gonna you know bob off and and leave the the rest of them to to deal with this army i can sort of understand that but yeah it, it does it does seem to be overly perhaps punishing something that doesn't seem to really exist an awful lot having impossible alliances and i don't think impossible alliances are by and large the strongest way to build armies anyway so uh, punishing them again feels like well what's the point having an impossible alliance if if you're going to then completely punish it into obscurity and make it not even usable so i don't know i i don't dislike the 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 intention generally but i I can certainly see why people would be annoyed about it i just don't think it'll affect me an awful lot yeah, I think this is yeah, I think this is one of the more controversial ones. So I definitely don't mind spending a bit of time on it. The red alliances, I've personally put a lot of army lists, like just more than just trying out using the red alliances, and I think that's going to be a little bit more limited. So that that's a, a challenge. I know in Europe there was, uh, I think the European Championship, a lot of armies had their evil contingent, a shade impossible allied in, and mm-hmm. that usually leading a group of yeah, friends. Yeah, for my colour. Um, yeah, from what I gather, there are um, there are usually some shades, uh, or there have been some shades used in, in the ETC. I didn't go to the ETC, so I don't really know. But uh, yeah, it certainly seems popular in, uh, on the continent, as it were. Yeah, but yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, which I'm interested because I'm interested what what impossible alliances that you have uh, or you've used that would be negatively affected by this change. The one that I'm looking at with the Numenor and say the um, the Gondor cavalry, just a generic captain. That one's going to be affected because you just pick on one side of it to to start getting to run away. It doesn't have the best courage in the world. Uh, the banner effects especially because mm. you, you you end up buying one banner and you really need a banner for both contingents. Then uh, it probably mean that I just don't take impossible, and I probably wouldn't take impossibles that often anyway. But I do agree with Andy. Some yeah. of the, the things that are missing, like the um that second age stuff and the third age stuff, and there's some of it that you put together with yeah, generic and that- that makes a lot of sense, you know. The just mentioning uh, giving uh, Numenor some cavalry with an allied contingent of, of uh, Minister of Knights. That's a that's a great example of something that is completely ruined um, by it. But 
I, especially if you're being ultra themey about it and like you say just giving him a normal minister of captain as a gondor captain and at knights and you weren't using aragorn and and ellen dill or something like that then it would yeah. be yeah uh that, that that would be frustrating but mm. perhaps it's it perhaps it's an example of where uh people are using the uh sort of obscure um uh, obscure rules changes and things like that to kind of make a filthy list um by without using without playing to the spirit of the game if that makes sense you know if you're trying to sort of wedge Aragorn and Elendil together in some way and this rule is trying to stop that it's kind of ruining it for everyone else who's trying to um be do it in a nice themey way but ultimately it's trying to stop broken combinations that don't really make sense and, yeah and by doing that you you accidentally getting people like yourself uh, who are doing it in the, in the right way I would say or certainly in the way that Jay seems to want Instead of this one, I would have much preferred it to be something like reduce the shades, bubble effect, whatever it's called, to three mm. inches. And then in the army bonus for Agmar, if it's the um, green allies, just give it the six inches back or something like that to make it just a little less appealing in in the impossible alliances, but not really killing all the other options as well with it. That that would be a very elegant solution. Uh, I would I would fully support that and as an inclusion in the next FAQ. Um, yes. It's a shame, shame he hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't know. Maybe. I, I haven't tried it out. I'm just, just spitballing ideas, and I doubt Jay's listened to this because it's it's going to be not the not probably the most interesting one for him. It's probably just going to be like a, at the tournament where people go and um, give him 5,000 suggestions and unsolicited advice about how to do his job. But there's some unsolicited <laughs> yeah. advice about how to do your job, Jay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're listening, Jay, uh, yeah, this is this is all good tips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's it. Yeah, he's never going to talk to me again. So the next yeah. one... <laughs> We move on to designer's commentary. Now, this is, I think, the FAQ, but they've called it designer's commentary for, for some reason. I don't know why. I, I, it's a strange naming convention. But our first There one, was an explanation for it originally, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but, I'm sure yeah. there's a reason for it, and I'm sure it's a fine reason. If a model makes a jump test across the barrier and rolls a 2 to 5, meaning they cannot move further that turn, can they be placed in base contact with an enemy model that does not have a control zone and therefore fight them in the fight phase? And this is a strange one. The answer is no. Which I yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that was always the case anyway, because you know that would be. But I don't know. Is that? It? I, I thought that was the case, unless I'm. Mistaken. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those hearsay ones. David and I talked about it on a previous episode. It's not in the rules, so the idea that you just have to have enough to get over the barrier means you can put them down. Now, the idea of that was that even if you're like, if it doesn't have a control zone, it's not guarding the barrier, so you could jump over that and then put it in. Mm. If you can fit the model, it seems a bit strange to me that you have to move like a fraction of a millimeter away from them. If like, I understand if you, if you can't move away from the barrier, but if touching the barrier and touching the model is possible, I don't see why this is an issue for it. I feel like yeah. barriers are already uh, powerful enough yeah. as they are. Well, yeah, that, I, I must say, yeah, I, I kind of thought of it as being, I, maybe I didn't read it properly because it didn't really come up that often, but I thought it was them defending the barrier, but now you said that, and that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 so I guess this is to try and stop people jumping barriers to trap people and get more people in a fight, I guess. But well, you can still trap them. It, That's it the problem. It still does the the trapping because it. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, of course. Because you just need yeah. a model there, but it's yeah, I, it's I I think it was one of those ones that was an intention and maybe just like because it was assumed that everyone knew about it, it just wasn't as clear in the rules. So at least it's mm. clear now. We know what the intention is and we know what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Good. Exactly. That will affect us probably more than you guys. <laughs> Do models have to make wave able to, or is this optional? And it's it's optional. Hmm. And it's optional, apparently. Yeah. Um, 
I thought you had to make way. I, I, I genuinely did. Uh, then you could force force other people to trap people um, by because I don't know why, when would you not want to be doing um, this? There's very ha- very few circumstances, I suppose. But backing into lava, or I'm sure um, you found a corner case. Yeah, back yeah, into yeah, oh, I suppose that's true. Or yeah. deep water, or something like that that you don't want to go into. So that's that's the times we've done it. But it, what it means is now um, you don't have to get pushed off objectives, which is kind of weird because there's a lot of times when we would we would move on to an objective and make it so because because of the back away if you had to back away you had to get off the objective you were touching it or whatever you could push a model off it now you can just say i'm touching the objective i'm never moving now you're more likely to die but you go you shoot on the objective you don't care about moving off it it's sort of it will make a difference in some of those almost more gamey situations and i don't know i don't know if i like this i suppose that I suppose that's true. That's true. But if it, as it says, it it results in being trapped. So if you say, "Well, I'm desperate to keep this," um, I don't know, uh, this guy here on this objective, then yeah, I'm doubling the chances. So it's your risk, I guess. But if it works, then it works, and you keep the objective. But if you're taking a risk, I guess, by doing it, which makes it, I guess, it represents that that you know last stand. You know, uh, I've got to hold this desperately. I'm not going to back away from this fight. I'm going to uh, yeah. try and fight them off. Yeah, no, I, I guess. I, get that. I can see how it could affect gameplay. What I don't understand is why it says may well result in the model being trapped. Like, I feel like if you don't back away, you are trapped. That's part of the thing. You have to back away an inch. Maybe I'm wrong about that as well. And this is make this is make way rather than backing away, though, isn't it? This is uh, if oh, someone no, yes. backs away in a combat, which you have to do, so then someone behind them... Yeah, you know, you're right. To... You're right. So, so you it's could... not it's not backing away from combat. It's someone else who is, say, on the objective and someone's backing into them. They don't have to move... Um, so it can trap the guy who's trying to back away. You are right. I am the... entirely wrong here. Yes, yes, you are right. So you can trap your own model by your rear guy saying, I'm not moving. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair enough. Does that change the, the way you think about it? Or Yes. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay. I think I think yeah. a model okay. should be able to choose if they don't care, and especially if you've got an impossible alliance. If you're one of that person, I'm definitely <laughs> not making way. I'm going to hold my orc there and say, right, we're not even allies. You be trapped. Yeah, and, and almost give them a poke in the back with your spear if you can. I think so. That's what I'll definitely do. My shade told me to do it. Yeah. If a hero has declared a heroic move or heroic march and has called either with me or at the double and then subsequently dies before completing that move, uh, like falling off a cliff drowning or whatever, what happens to the models that were affected by the heroic action? These models will be unable to move um, as they were unable to finish within six inches of that hero called with me or at the double. Yeah. Okay, this is this is an interesting one because it's almost opposite the the other one that's that's next, but that makes sense. I that that one we we've in our area have always played it that way. Yeah, I, I, in fact, this actually happened to me. I did call a march with Aragorn or someone. Uh, it must have been Aragorn, and um, uh, sadly uh, was killed in that uh, uh, that phase by magic. So I called the march. They did some magic, killed me, um, and then I was thinking. Do my guys get to march? But then we all sort of think, yeah, actually, no, no, they can't because he's dead. How are you going to march after someone if they've just been smashed into the ground? So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. The logic logic is undeniable, though, I thought. It's interesting, though. It's a little bit different to the fail courage one. So you can still get a heroic move or heroic march if you fail a courage test and can't charge. So, sorry, not the march. You wouldn't be able to do that. But for the heroic move, you go and charge a terrifying enemy. You can still call you with me, but you can't if you, if you die. I guess they're still, yeah. I, in that scenario, I'm imagining them going, guys, you can do it. Off you go. Fight. That sort of yeah. thing. Whereas if you're dead, then you can't. Yep. 
I think the one that's, the way this is going to happen more is the drowning. I think that's the, the probably the one or a jump test over something that kills your chasm or something. Who knows? Yeah, that would be really really unlucky. Um, but yeah, it it's, it's, it may, it does make sense. So I I don't have a problem with it generally. Yeah. Now, I'm going to do the next one because this one I've got some, some feelings about. Uh, if a hero declares a heroic move or march and declares the, the same things with me at the double and it moves off the table in games where this is allowed, can models affected by the heroic action also move off the table? And the answer is yes. However, any models that cannot move off the table for any reason must forfeit their move for that turn. So this one, if you're off the table, technically you couldn't finish within six inches of the model because there's no place to put that. It'll be undefined. And that's how we've played in the past. That said, I do like this change mm-hmm. because I think for some of those scenarios where you, you're running off the board, it gives you, it makes sense because at the end, it was a real weird situation where the hero would stay on the board and, and move to block off models yeah. and then others would have to go off. So I like the change. I don't necessarily agree with the logic. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of sort of agree and sort of don't. And it, for me, I kind of, logically, it would, it would make sense for you to, Say, yeah, March, let's all at the double and all charge off the board and then the rear ranks to still be going at the same pace as everyone else, not just stop dead um, mm. where they were. But, um, yeah, it, it does make sense that you can march with people off the table. But I can see it is, like you say, I, I think it's a it's, sol- it's trying to solve a problem and doesn't quite solve it, but uh, it, it is better than it was. So it's kind of, uh, it's fine. I'm, yeah, it, it, it's not too bad. I don't, I don't mind that. But it does seem weird that, you know, you, you've got a block of infantry that have been moving for uh, together for the whole ter- whole game, perhaps, um, and marching. And then, you know, then suddenly at the very end of the the bit where you need them all to move off, that only the front half can get off the table, and the back half goes, "Oh no, we're going to stand exactly uh, exactly <laughs> where we were, and then have to wait a turn or two to actually get off." So it'd be annoying and frustrating, but I can see what it's trying to solve. So yeah, yeah no, I can see that, and it's yeah. It- I guess you have to make a choice in some way. And the last one about that little series. Oh, no, it's not the last one, I think. But it's it's another one about that series. If your hero doesn't move off, friends can't move off. Instead, they have to have to follow the hero. So you can't have the hero calling a with me or calling, and then moving to the edge of the board but not off. And then the other's ducking off the board and leaving the hero on the board. Yeah, I, I'm surprised by that. Again, I, I, I probably always played it differently that, you know, we'd been allowed to. Uh, up to the edge, and you call a march, and you get everyone off the table and leave the leave the hero on the table. So, and um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of surprised by that actually. I don't know whether that's the way you've played it, but I, I think because uh, in my head it always feels weird because it's not like a, a you know everything's being played on a massive plateau and suddenly everyone's vanishing into the ether as soon as they go off. I always imagine there being just a little bit of woodland that carries on or a little bit of. Uh, wasteland or whatever it is you're playing on that just carries on so they are still within six even though they're not mm. because they're not on the table so um yeah i'm kind of surprised by this choice actually i don't know what you think it's a bit of an abstraction no matter what we always played that because you, you, your stipulations for that was that you had to start within that range and you had to finish within that range that if they were separated somewhere on the board some weren't they could not be within that range because they were no longer part of the game so we we mm. never allowed it either way so it's interesting that one way is allowed but not the other Mm. Yeah, it seems an odd. I don't know. I, I mean, it's again. The, I maybe maybe I just haven't really encountered these issues very often. Perhaps I don't play enough, or perhaps I don't play competitively enough to to have these things really come up and make a massive impact. Um, or certainly, usually these sorts of problems, I'd have just kind of agreed with my opponent and then moved on. But 
I guess you need these things for ultra competitive play where uh, everyone playing on different rule sets and at least you've got a clear answer. So that's fine. As if it's that's the way, that's the way. Yeah, um, it actually comes up more in the Hobbit scenarios where you've got Thorin's company running away from Hunter Orcs because uh, yeah. a lot of the scenarios involve you running from one side of the board to the other side of the board. And in that one, yeah. the last turns, it pretty much always comes up because you've got a bunch of heroic actions, but then we've had to the point where everyone had to call their own heroic move to get off and not call with me. So it's an interesting situation there and it kind of sorts out that scenario a little bit. But in competitive play, it happens so rarely because normally heroes get separated from the troops that are, are getting off the board anyway, that it's not a really a big deal. Yeah, usually you kind of, I mean, it's, it's not often you really desperately want to go, unless it's, unless you're, it's uh, one model in it to take you over the line, you wouldn't really necessarily want to move your big hero off the table and, and sacrifice their potential of other, doing other things. So um, unless, yeah, unless it's like literally you, you've got an 11, 11, 10 and you need to move your, uh, your final guy over to put, make a draw, then I guess you might move the hero off. But usually I would have thought you'd keep them on. But mm. Yeah, and the last one's very wordy, but it's pretty simple. You can basically now, with a heroic move, you're supposed to finish within six inches, but you're allowed to attempt to finish within six inches now, and you may not succeed, but you still still get to do the move. So this was really important for things like the Iron Hills Chariot that I used to play a bit, where you call a heroic move someone nearby, and then they get separated, and then the, the chariot tries to trample and then hits the first model and, and pauses. That's okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually very, uh, the same with them um, because I've, I've used chariots and mummocks and all these sorts of things a bit. And uh, it's it, there's this weird situation where you, it's the same. I, and actually, I don't know whether they've addressed this or not. I can't remember. You know, taking courage checks. If, for example, I trample through stuff uh, and there's a terrifying thing that I want to trample through next, uh, if I fail, if I do, I have to take the terror check first or in between things and and all these sorts of stuff. They, and they all come up with chariots and. Um, uh, and war beast because they're unusual models and they've got complicated rules. Yeah, I'm gonna. I I don't have time to check this up, but that's an interesting one. I don't think trample counts as a charge. I think it's a move that just happens to go through yeah. models. So and and, have... and that's the that's the thing, and that's yeah. that's the the query that often I oh, get yes. is like if I'm if I'm trying to trample towards a, a ring wraith via a load of uh, a load of orcs. The question is, do I have to take a terror check? And I think the answer is no. Correct. But, um, if you end up in com- combat with it, then people start getting a bit wary about it and going, hold on, well, do, when do you take my terror check? It's, like, it's not a charge. It's kind of a charge, but it isn't. And it's all very confusing. Sorry, you Go can on. also do it off a march, and which is not, you're not allowed to charge. So things like the Troll Brute or any of these ones that have impact hits can just keep going and it doesn't count as a charge move. Exactly. But then, of course, then you get the complicated thing where if you've got a Candish Chariot where it has monstrous charge uh, and you don't charge into something, but you still get the monstrous charge roll. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. And it all becomes great. <laughs> you know what I mean? I uh, that's why I think people avoid playing these models uh, as much because uh, they just cause all sorts of headaches at the table. But anyway, uh, should we go on to the next one? Yes. Um, uh, there's a couple more. Uh, couple, there's a simple one. Can I use might to increase D6 when rolling for a heroic strike? No. And um, I don't. Th- it's not in the list, so mm. I don't know why anyone would think it is. Um, but there's a specific list of things you can use might for. It's not on that list, so I've never been able to do it. Um, but I can see why people would be desperate to be able to want to do that. Um, then, uh, if a model declares a heroic defense 
uh, is fighting, if the model, declaring heroic defense is fighting a model that never requires more than a certain number to wound, like Azog or Aragorn with Anduril, will they still only be ruled on, uh, wounded on the role of a natural six? And the answer is yes. So heroic defense trumps the rules of Aragorn and uh, Azog, sorry, Anduril really, but, and Azog, which, yeah, that seems that seems good. That's a good thing for heroic defense. Oh, models. heroic defense, so good. Heroic defense is is, I would say, even better than heroic challenge. Yeah, I, I would. It's just pips it to the post. I think only just, only just. <laughs> but yeah, I, heroic defense is is really good. And some of the models that have heroic defense have a better. They're just such such good models to have it as well. So uh, I'm thinking particularly of gambling with his magic banner of doom mm. that gives him ultimate might, uh, infinite might, and heroic defense is just so so useful. So um, I've certainly found him a, a, a very very hard uh, nut to crack in combat where he's just feeding everyone around him might uh, and he's just going oh i'll call a right defense every turn in combat because i can so yeah. um yeah it's pretty horrible but but yeah i really like right defense um and uh, yeah and it's kind of scary that as uh, and aragorn's and you will don't crack through that uh, that nut as it were yep Look, I'm I'm okay with that. Heroics, you have to spend a resource for it, whereas their sword is something that pretty much always goes. So I don't mind that at all, and it does make heroic defense very powerful. Yeah, I'm, I've not got a problem with it. That's the whole point of heroic defense, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of gambling, it's very annoying. Oh yeah, yeah, but that's gambling annoying. That's not. You can't punish heroic defense just because there's one annoying Rohan peasant. Well, that's true, but you know, let's let's not bring the shade back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The next one is the commander of a war beast. When it declares with me, you measure from the, the commander. So pretty much only the beast gets affected. Yeah, that's um, especially for Mulmaks. Sometimes Gorgoth yeah. thinks you might be able to get someone else. I, I think that's um, that's a big big deal for me actually because I'm I, I, I think I've been I thought I've been playing it right that I've measured from the distance um, from the base of the war beast because a lot of the rules currently did measure from the base of the war beast. So it, for example, the banner effect uh, or the heroic move uh, cancelling ability the uh, war leader has is measured from his base, which is great. And it specifically says that. So I've always thought, oh, well, you measure the heroic from the base like you would in a cavalry uh, model. But um, apparently not. So I guess if you're spending 400 points on the Mumic war leader, um, you're, you, you're not, you're not going to be able to do many heroic moves with the rest of your troops, which uh, is much more of a downside than I, I expected. But I guess, you know, you've got a big, big old beastie, so you're not going to be too bothered. Yeah, I don't like this. I think it's uh, there's there's some real abstractions with the measurement, and mm-hmm. I th- I feel like the bases. If it was everything from the bases, it would work much better in my mind than doing some things from bits of the model, like find the crossbow inside the chariot. Where do you measure from that? And this sort of stuff, just measure from an mm-hmm. edge of a base would be better in my mind. But it is very clear. Um, if they wanted to do this, just the beast, put in the beast rules. A war beast, any the war beast commanders only affect themselves. And then you don't have to do any of this measurement stuff because it is weird when you get the Gorgoth beast can get some friends, but the moment can't. Yeah, exactly. And I, I guess it means you, uh, um, you're not going to be able to put anyone in front of your war beast um, because they'll just be trampled to death before they get a chance to actually move. So, so yeah, it's basically saying you, your war leader, your moment cannot, uh, cannot do a heroic move for anyone else. So, I mean, it's fine. Like, like you say, at least it's clear, but I, I don't really like it. I think it's unfairly punishing a model that's already... Uh, got a lot of downsides. Um, there you go. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. We're not going to like them all, and we should like some of them differently. We're agreeing too often. This is this is not good yet. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, next one is: Can the commander of a war beast use their own might and will to improve a courage test made by the war beast to see if it stampedes? And yes, it can. Good. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we've always done that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense, um, I guess, because the commander has always been able to use courage to help the war beast. In fact, I, I always thought that the uh, you use the commander's courage anyway. So, mm. um, yeah. So, yeah. That, in fact, I'm pretty sure it says that in the rules that you use the commander's uh, courage. So that's a nice uh, clarification if anyone was confused by that. Yep, I agree. If a model has fainted with a two-handed sword, can they re-roll it to wound wall of one, even though it would be counted as a two? I've had this debate quite a bit. The answer is yes. I'm glad it's clarified because uh, it was one of those ones that, yeah, but it's automatically a two. Is it a one? Can you re-roll it? What happens if you point mites on it? All that sort of stuff. It's clear. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I, I can't see that. I mean, yeah, I can understand why people would debate it. Um, but it is, a bit of a, it is a confusing situation because you're not quite sure whether it automatically adds the one. Um, or, or afterwards, or what? But yeah, yeah it, it's a very good clarification because nobody wants to be getting into debates about whether a one's a one or a two or a two yes. or a one, and, and it just becomes very confusing and time-consuming at the table. So yeah, and and tournament organisers don't want to rule on that sort of stuff because you can rule either way, and either way you're going to annoy someone. So it's much better to have it just clear, and and it's it's so minor that I don't think anyone's going to be too worried about it. Yeah, exactly. At least it's clear. That's the, that's a good thing. Um, so next is, if a model with a spear is involved in a fight and loses, but is not slain and subsequently backs away into base contact with a friendly model, can they then support that fight? No, of course, because they can't. That's the, you want model fights once, right? I mean, that's the whole deal. Yeah, but they don't count as fighting. <laughs> yeah, well, it, but, oh, right. Is that what you're saying? Are you, are you, you're not one of those. No, no, no. I'm not one of those, <laughs> but I'm playing devil's advocate because we agree too often. Yeah, we agree too much. But yeah, I, I mean, I can, yeah, they're not fighting. Yeah, but I, I mean, logically, I suppose it, it doesn't take much difficulty to poke a spear behind two different people. But the whole point is you're fighting in an abstract kind of way, rolling dice. So please be clear about it. It says they fight once and that's that. So, um, yeah. Good. I'm glad you're passionate. <laughs> you got me really angry there for a second when you... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> uh, same thing, a lance one, and then is it a one plus the wound when you charge or, or re-roll? Uh, you can re-roll the one. Good. Same thing. If yeah. it was different, I would have been angry. <laughs> yeah, that would have been annoying. And yeah, I, I, You know, I hadn't even thought about this because I, I played with Long and some Knights of Dolamroth um, in the last uh, podcast, and... And I didn't really even think about it, even though they were always pretty much always char- charging. I just I just did the rolls, and nobody batted an eyelid. So um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You just that's it. If you go fast, no one questions your rules. That's, good. <laughs> that's the way I always operate. <laughs> okay. If a cavalry model opts to stab, when do people stab and loses the fight? Is it the rider or the mount that suffers the strength to hit? It's the rider because they're the one stabbing. Your horse doesn't really have a dagger. Uh, fair enough. And the same, but the same, the one below it, the same is true of piercing strike. And I like this a lot because I have, I, I'm, I may have even been the person who asked this question because um, I sent a message to them asking about, I, uh, I have a, a, a chariot army of um, Candace chariots, of hero chariots. And I was thinking, well, if my Candace chariots piercing strike who um who gets the defense disadvantage so i've got my defense seven chariot which you hit on a one two three four and and five plus you strike the rider and if i piercing strike with my axe uh my hand and a half axe then i uh, i get a much better bonus in combat with my you know strength uh strength four chieftains or, or kings so I, I really like this rule. This is going to make me bring out my chariots again because, <laughs> I mean, there's almost no downside now. Five, yeah, a different six, the chieftain and k- uh, king, but 
that it, you're almost always hitting those chariots. So it's good. I love this. This is this is filthy. <laughs> mm. So in combat, chariots are like the Iron Hills one, are they? That you randomise <clears throat> it. You don't just get to choose the rider anymore. Yeah, no, it's a it's it's an active special rule. So when an enemy model makes it, and they will hit the chariot on a one, two, three, four, and on five plus, it hits the rider. So it's the same. Uh, additionally, when in combat, the model also wishes to strike the rider. Must roll the d six. One, two, three, four hits the chariot. So, cool. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good. Uh, it's a good rule for me. And and it kind it kind of doesn't actually make sense. That's the thing. I, I think if I'm piercing striking, I'm opening myself up to being attacked. Um, Yes. Then, well, actually, no, no, it does make sense. What am I, what am I saying? Of course it makes sense because it's I, me. I, I'm the one swinging wildly, not the horse or the, the horse is still They're kicking still or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah but keep in mind, don't bring in too many real situations because sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. If a model with multiple attacks elects to bash and wins the ensuing fight, do they roll a d6 for each attack or only one? They roll a single d6. I thought this was clear, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever bashed. No, 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 you, you so. don't really do it. There are <laughs> there are some times when it's worthwhile. Is bash the one that knocks them down? Or yeah, is that... I think, don't you compare strengths or something? And then, yeah, uh, yeah something like that. I think it's basically you, for knocking Stolbis off. If... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the only situation. So you get like Bomber or someone bashing, um, knocking a Felbis off, yeah. off his mount. Yeah, yeah it's... that's good. Yep, most of the time just try and trap. Okay, a model with a throwing weapon, uh, can it use it in the fight phase as part of a heroic combat? No. Okay. Easy. Yep, fine. Yep, yep, yep. That's yep. clear. The same with the um, throwing weapon with a bow. Uh, so this is the next one. is a, If a model that is armed with a, both a throwing weapon and a bow throws a throwing weapon as a charge into combat and subsequently kills its target, can they then fire the bow in the shoot phase as long as they haven't moved over half their move allowance? And they say no. Yep. A person can shoot their bow one. That's fair enough. At least it's clear. Yeah, no, no, this is all stuff that I can see people asking the question, especially if you're new to the game and don't really get used to the mechanics, that, that when it doesn't say you can't do that and doesn't say you can, what what's the answer? So now they say you can't, mm. good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's good to have that clarification. Now, the next one I want to mention, because this one, this was one of my highlights of the FAQ. Can models pass on a banner in any other situation other than being slain or fleeing the board, e.g. being knocked prone? The answer is no. Now, this question was the one that the FAQ sort of rules on. We've always had models that if they flee, they flee with their banner. They don't drop their banner and run. But it sounds like that's not how how it's played. There. Yeah, it's yeah. And, uh, no, that's strange, because I, I totally agree. This brings up another question which is if you if your model flees can you then hand over a banner yeah yeah maybe you can and, and i didn't even realize that you could do this that if you flee then you can maybe hand over another banner and, and that seems like a massive uh, downside to having uh, you know people running away with banners is is that you lose the banner and you can't keep it but now if you've just always got someone in base contact then you get to keep it which seems seems good that's a that's sort of a good change but it's not quite saying that it's saying no something it's answering a different question but now i definitely want to ask that question but it sounds like that question is so obvious that it doesn't need to be answered that that's the way to do it and that's never how we've played it before which is uh, in my area anyway because i well i'm not everywhere but that's that's great for my orcs but it seems once again interesting because like if you're a trained banner bearer this is this is your job to hold this banner and you decide this battle is lost you need to to run away are you going to unhook your banner throw it on the ground and run off i don't think so or hand it to your friend and say you hold this i'm running i think you're going to take the banner yeah. with you yeah i guess um although i suppose if you if you were running away you might ditch all the stuff that's heavy um and then someone might pick it up 
the banner. In, in fact, I'm thinking of a specific scene in the Patriot the film with Mel Gibson. Uh, he does pick up a banner that's been dropped by someone. So mm. maybe it's maybe uh, maybe Jay's a big fan of that film. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it does seem it's definitely not how I've played it uh, ever. And I don't think people have played it like this. So maybe that's another question for another <laughs> FAQ in nine months time. <laughs> Now, if it comes up, maybe, maybe, maybe someone's listened to the Green Dragon podcast. Who knows? I doubt it will. No, I don't think it'll come up. No, I think it's so obvious it doesn't need to be answered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do the effects of multiple wardrooms stack? For example, if I have two wardrooms in my force and sound both of them, do I get three inches for each or five for cavalry? Uh, no, the effects of multiple wardrooms do not stack. Mm. Okay. Yep, that's good because I do I do know some people who were saying that um, they were going to put a load of Mordor wardrooms in their armies and they could just like a call of I think it was actually with scouts um, a couple of Urukai scouts uh, drop them into the uh, army and march uh, alerts off the table um, in the first turn and you're like oh well why would you want to do that because you're wasting a lot of money on drums but uh, points on drums but uh, yeah I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I think you can still march and drum but you can't do multiple drums, which fair enough. I yes, think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but so it's, yeah, if you're adding nine inches or something from three drums plus a mark, then you've got a twenty-something-inch move. Yeah, and then you're true. Off. Yep. Uh, so it, it, yeah, it's it would be ridiculous, but I mean, I guess if you're the louder the drum, the the faster you march. Surely, I don't know, but can you imagine the um the cavalry Khand army, the one that's that's basically dragon knights and cataphracts with drums because oh. they can take drums very cheaply. You put in four drums in that one, and they literally have mm-hmm. them go across from one side of the board to the other in one turn. That would be a yeah. oh, scary. Too that scary. would be uh, that would be a filthy, filthy idea, and I love it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. apparently not anymore. Sad times. Oh damn! We, we uh, just... When a model is fighting, yeah, we missed a chance there. <laughs> um, when a model is fighting an enemy wearing the one ring, but their uh, their fight value is halved, is this rounded up or down? And it's rounded up. Yep. Yep. Good. I think there's only is it just, just still the bats that's rounded down? I think it might be the only thing that rounds down. Yeah, it's annoying that some things are rounded down. Yeah, um, but clearly not. Or we did something like Banker's Rounding where we had to look at the number afterwards or something like that to to get it so it goes half the time. That would be good. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, oh, we're down to the next page. This is good. We're going well. Oh, gosh. There's there's so many pages of uh, FAQ. There is so many questions. questions. I know. Yeah. Poor Jay. Every tournament. He's just been asked this all the time. So Protection of Valor. So this is a new one. How does it work in regards to magical powers and special rules that don't directly target a model? So Chill Aura, Harbinger of Evil, Miasmic Presence, all this sort of stuff. The model that has Protection of Valor cast upon them will be affected as normal as per the magic power or special rule that doesn't target them directly. So like things like the Neguan Courage and this sort of stuff, it doesn't help you with. Yes, although intriguingly, the next question is about Protection of Valor as well. We target multiple models. Uh, this the model has protection of our cast upon them cannot be affected by the magical power though other models that would be affected will be as normal the men may still attempt to resist such a magical power so that's quite interesting so if you have protection of the valar um yeah that, i guess it makes sense that if you natured wrath in the slightly reduced natures wrath mm. or wrath of brunin um then your uh, protection of the valar person will still stand stay standing even if they didn't resist the spell themselves so that's that's interesting yes yeah it is interesting. Some of these spells seem all or nothing, and then sometimes there's exceptions to it. So that's that's interesting. But I guess it means it, protection of Valor is still worth doing. I'm I'm not I don't I'm not convinced. I like that though. If if your not being is not able to resist something like a nature's wrath or wrath of Brunin, um, 
and then like a load of magical horses, uh, water horses, trample down everything else, and they're just kind of standing there. That feels silly to me. Um, if they're like, oh, I didn't realise this was going to happen because uh, I'm a bit too far away. Oh, but, you know, it's fine because I've got magic. I don't know. I don't, I don't really... I, don't, I think it just doesn't seem to make sense. If they're not resisting it, then they're not ma involved in the magic, then therefore they should be affected by it personally. I, I, I think, anyway. I don't know what you think on that. Yeah, look, uh, I, d I don't know. Honestly, I'm, I haven't seen Protection of Valor that often, so I don't don't really have a strong opinion on that. I just, I think my answer is it feels strange that this sort of spell, like, I don't know, it's like, like a, a meteor hits and then for some reason one person survives because they're being protected and everyone else around them gets hit. Seems strange, but it, it, it is what it is. It's clear yeah. now, so... That's good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. And the same, does it uh, protect a model from trampled demolition? No. Uh, no. Hmm. I, no. <laughs> no, nothing protects you from those demolition charges. They're scary. <laughs> no, they are pretty scary, actually. Oh, this is a hilarious next special rule. This is a great one. Um, because I think this is a specific thing that came up at uh, a tournament. Uh, I think it was at a Warhammer World tournament um, not so long ago. That if a model with a fly is special and a large base size, like a Smaug or Dragon, finishes its move on top of a terrain, but there would be room for an other models to move underneath the model, mm. is this allowed? And yes, yes, that is allowed. So models can uh, move underneath the base of the model as long as they'll fit. Uh, and should any models underneath be within one inch height wise of the model, person terrain then would be considered it to be in combat. So you can kind of crawl underneath Smaug if it's dangling over a big old uh, base. Uh, but I, I'm picturing it actually being on something that's like very, like two inches tall and, you know, your model can just crawl underneath that, which is a, a nice, it's a visual image that I quite like. So that's good. Yeah, we, we have a lot of um, like Goblin Town terrain and things like that where someone's above and someone's below. And I guess it, it's very clear for those ones where that, like where does your control zone extend and, and are you actually like a, a column in the ground or are you a model at a point? So it, it's, I think it's good that it's there and it's got the height wise as well. So you can sort of control an inch around you and still attack them as well. That's good as well. So it's, yeah. it's clear. Yeah. I, I, I did hear, I did hear someone, oh, I think I read on saying, saying that they used it as a shadow. They had a control zone of like shadows. Uh, if you shine a light above it, where, where does the shadow land and that is um, where the control zone is or something like that. So <laughs> uh, I guess it's, it's getting, it, it, although I quite like the idea of that fun stuff, um, at least there's some kind of special to deal with these unusual, unusual situations. Um, but I, I, although I can't help but think that's almost never, ever happening, surely, that, that anyone's going to worry about that sort of stuff in a really serious game. If you've got a Smaug or a Dragon flying on rules uh, on terrain, I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to be that serious, surely, that you need to have this rule. It actually, but anyway, there you go. No, it did happen in one of my games at Silmarilli where uh, basically because of the terrain, someone was hang standing on top of like a wall that was uh, thinner than its base. So the base overhung the wall and I was asking, can I walk under there? Because I'm underneath by a significant amount, but I'm passing mm -hmm. under the control zone. So it actually did come up for me and it was actually ruled in that way, yeah. I think, as well. Even the height-wise, I think, was a similar ruling we got as well. So it was good. Ah, well, there you go. That's yeah. good. Well, at least your, your community is beyond the on the same page. Great. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It doesn't happen very often, but we, we were on that time. <laughs> Great. And um, can a model with the mighty still use their free point of might from the special rule if they have no might remaining in the store? And yes, they can. Yeah, good. This, I'm okay. glad this has been fixed up. Is it, yeah, does that really need fixing, though? Yes. I mean, is uh, that something that people have always said as a problem? 
we had a long debate about this in our community for a while, and the issue was that you, technically in the wording you couldn't, but you had uh, because you had to use up a, a store that you had, and then you got it for free. Um, but no one ever played it that way. We all just assumed that this was the case, so we all just basically went on and said, "Yep, that's fine. I'm going to we 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 think this is the ruling of it." So we made this decision ourselves. But there was a time, and I don't know if it's this current edition, but there was a time where if you look at the exact wording, you basically have to have a point of might to be able to activate the free point of might one. Oh, that's interesting. Because I know that that's been the case with Will and some some uh, magical abilities, but uh, I'd never considered it. It's always been a free point of sats on top of your pile, and you can use that one, uh, and it constantly replenishes. And then if you spent that and want to spend another one that turn, then you took into your uh, original store of Will. So... But yeah, I guess it's it's useful if there are, there was a clarification. But I've just never encountered anyone who thought, played it in a different way. Um, so uh, it feels it feels like an un- unnecessary FAQ. But yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm no, glad I, it's clarified something for you. Guys. I'm actually glad it's clarified because it is one that that can debate at times, especially people who haven't played the game before reading it. So mm-hmm. sometimes you read things with a fresh set of eyes, and things don't always read the way that we've always read them. So because we've played in the community mm-hmm. so long, we yeah, always just assume cool. this is the case. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, and that is that is, that is very true. Yeah. So then, the model with monstrous charge, special rule charges, and then is charged by other models. Are all the other models knocked prone if the monster wins the fight, or just the ones who were originally charged? And this is like the cavalry models; basically, everything that gets knocked over. So, if you go yeah. and charge a charging monstrous creature, you risk getting knocked over yourself. Yeah, and it's just like charging an uh, infantry model charging. A- um, if it's already charged, it's flailing its hooves around. Got the big, you got the big scary thing charging into you. Uh, it makes sense that if you're going to stand, uh, go and join into that charge, then that you're going to also get knocked over. So yeah, I, I think that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Yep. Some of the other ones are, are pretty straightforward here, so I'll go through a few of them yeah. at once. Yeah, um, just rattle through them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Benefit stalk unseen. If you're obscured by other models but not by terrain, I think this one's been covered before that you have to have some terrain for Stork Unseen. I don't know why that's magenta, mm-hmm. but that one I think has been a bit clearer than before. Yeah. There's this one's an interesting one. You no longer have to stoop to throw stones. So someone's probably intent like interpreting that that you had to go prone or something like that. Um it's been removed. You just throw well, stones. Uh, yeah, I think no, I think the, the the thing was in the previous edition, um, you had to declare that your model, your hobbit was stooping for stones in the move phase ah. so that you could then st- throw a stone in the next phase. And it's saying that, do you have to declare they're stooping for a stone anymore? Ah, fair um, enough. As, and you don't have to. And it, basically it's saying, no, you don't, there's no silliness about saying in the move phase that you're stooping for a stone. If you haven't moved, you just can throw a stone, which is good. I like that because it's a ma- massive faff having to say, yes, this hobbit is stooping for a stone yep. because it hasn't moved. Yeah, no, we sort of just say they're not moving and put a marker or a die next to them, just to remember, because mm-hmm. if they haven't moved, we assume they can throw stones. Same with Ents. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Siege engines, uh, can you buy the additional war gear? This one actually has come up quite a bit, this question. So the siege engine crew, uh, you cannot buy them extra shields or extra banners or war horns or anything like that. So it's been ruled that, mm-hmm. no, you basically just get them just with their hands free so they can operate a siege engine. Yep, that, that is good. That's yep. fine. Good to clear that up. And another Siege Engine 1, uh, this 
will every model, uh, if a shot from a siege engine hits a combat, will every model in that combat count as being hit by the initial shot, or will only the mod that is hit directly count as being hit by the initial shot, if that makes sense. So um, I guess it's if you, you scatter into a combat, there's one person who's being hit, does everyone get affected by that? No, it's only the model that is directly hit, so that's good. So I guess it means that most that everyone, not everyone in that combat gets knocked over, I'm yeah. guessing. In the way that uh, which which I think my, I might have played slightly differently before. Well, I don't know if it says uh, so that just... one though, but it's just hit, it's just hit. So I'll have to check that up. I'm sorry, I don't know the answer there. And I think sometimes mm. initial shots might be of um, a higher strength as well. So I think it might count for that as well. I think. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. 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 I, I see what it's answering. Yeah. It's not. But that that makes yeah. Yeah, if you yeah you so if you hit say I've, I'm shooting at Sauron who's in combat with five people around him, you hit directly hit Sauron, he gets a strength ten hit. Everyone else around him gets a uh, strength five or whatever it is the scatter damages. Yeah, I so think... yeah, that that that's that I think is that what it's going for rather than some people trying to game it so that everyone in combat surrounding Sauron also gets hit by the strength ten. I think that's probably what people are asking whether yeah if you're in combat you you cop that I think, but I could be wrong as well. But that's how I interpret it first up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, this one I actually got wrong when I played this one. A model that spends a full turn yep. in base contact with a siege engine can destroy it, providing it has nothing else that turn. What does this mean? You have to be there from the start of the turn to the end of the turn, so you cannot move, cannot do anything else, cannot fight, cannot do anything, just yeah. has to be in contact. Yeah, I, I've definitely played this wrong as well, because during the first early parts of the edition, I played three trebuchet arms about 700 points, uh, three trebuchets, uh, Gondor trebuchets, which I loved. Uh, and I was hit by a Grimmer Wormtongue, and, and he just basically uh, deployed right next to my thing and moved uh, de- and then deactivated it. And we did it as that he moved into the thing, and then by the end of that turn, it had gone. And, but it seems like he has to have moved into it, stayed there, and then waited another turn, to yes. then deactivate it. So you're almost spending two turns to do to deactivate this siege engine, yep. which is interesting. Still still very good for, for Grima to do that. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was a great use of Grima. But actually I, I, I think I think this makes siege engines and especially in a in an era where we're we're kind of um people are getting annoyed by uh, siege ballistas. Um this is this is an anno- a very annoying uh, wording to uh, for people who are wanting to deactivate a, a siege ballista, because you know you can move there it, even if you've. I mean, I suppose you move. The, you have the. It just gives you an extra chance to have uh, your your models fight off those people that have tried to deactivate it, which is mm. um, yeah, which is kind of kind of a quite a big bonus if you're if you're playing with siege weapons. And um, so yeah, it's. I, I'm not quite sure I like it um, in the sense that it, it makes it harder to destroy a siege weapon. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I agree with that one. I I would prefer it was just spend a combat phase with it, but it, it's clear. So 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 be it. Um, you have to have to wait another turn. Uh, when a model mm-hmm. is stated as not counting towards an enemy's an army's bow limit. Now this is one I've actually asked personally as well because I didn't quite get this one. Does it mean that they ignored entirely and therefore only a third of the remaining models in the force can have bows, or are they counted from the number of models but not counted as having bows? In which case, could the army contain two thirds of the models with bows that don't count towards the bow limit, and then a further third armed with bows that do not count? That's a long wording way of saying it's a basically you don't count them at all. So just say you have it says models don't count towards your bow limit. So what's a good example of this? Uh, the Rangers in Faramir's Legendary Legions Warband. 
you just mm-hmm. don't count those models. So when you're counting your models for bows only, not for brake tests or anything like that, but for bows, put those models aside. Um, if they're if they're the nice rangers, keep them. If they're the, the ugly rangers, throw them in the bin. But then the remaining models. So you just say you've got twelve models left. A third of those can have bows. You don't even consider the other ones that were part of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and this this I I, th- I know certainly for new slow grow league that I mentioned earlier. Um, some people were confused about how the rules with Rivendell Knights or the rules of Rohan, Riders of Rohan uh, are, and I can sort of see the confusion there because it's, bow limits are a thing that newer players struggle with um, anyway I think for some reason, because um, it's like a third, then you ignore heroes and then you ignore this and then you ignore that um, so at least if you go, okay, just remove those from the tally completely um, it can make it a little bit easier, but I can see why people were getting confused by it, definitely mm. it's uh, it's an unusual uh, situation, especially when you're removing loads of different things for loads of different special rules. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that one. So in match play scenarios, oh, match play, who plays those? I don't, I don't, this is definitely not for me. When the deployment <laughs> states that models must be deployed within a certain area, is this within or wholly within? So the difference is that within is that part of your base is touching that and wholly within means the entirety of your base is touching it. Um, so what it says is you have to be wholly within. So you have to fit the whole model in with one exception. Yeah. In the contest of champions scenario, leaders only need to be within three inches of the center of the board rather than wholly within. And that's probably because some of the leaders are of massive bases. Yeah, yeah. like Monocore leader. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, I think it should have another line that says, and we don't recommend playing contest of champions scenario at all. Oh, yeah. No, it can be a over in very, very short game time. It's It could be a very much down to two or three dice rolls, and then that's that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it's... Uh, at least, I think that's. I'm glad that it was clarified. But to be fair, it's one of those situations that I've asked about um, in situations where someone said, uh, "I think we had a, I was at a tournament and someone the TO shouted out, yes, you have to be wholly within the three inches.'" And I was like, "I've got a war leader," <laughs> and they were like, uh, "Maybe not for you." Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's good. Yeah, the, the the snark aside, that makes sense. Yep. In scenarios that require models to capture objectives. Do models that have temporarily switched sides, like Denethor or Thrain the Broken, count as scoring victory points for their owning player or the player who temporarily controls them? <laughs> and the suggestion is it's their owning player. Good. <laughs> well, I never I like, did that one. I, I like that someone's been sneakily thinking, right, I've got, I've taken Denethor this turn. I'm going to claim that uh, that objective for my own because I can. And, yep. and then uh, there's clearly caused an argument somewhere down the line. Uh, I love that that situation has come up. Uh, that has inspired this FAQ, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably right that it ends like that. No, I don't. Th- I don't think it was Denethor because Denethor's got like amazing courage now. It's probably Thrain the Broken that caused that. I think Denethor yeah, is just a that theory. That is a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's literally a double one. And then you've got the Siege Engine one again. Lots of Siege Engines in this FAQ. It's like people are using them. If they're deployed within six inches of a controlling player's board edge, whilst the rules for Contest of Champions state that your leader must be deployed within three inches of the center of the board. If my leader has a siege engine, such as Bard or Girion, which takes precedence, and it is, the deployment rules for Contest of Champions overrules it. So you do have to put Girion and his Windlands right in the middle, and you can't be sneaky and put them in the corner. Yeah, that's that's a shame. That's a shame if you... Because uh, I guess you definitely don't want to have Bard and or Girion's Windlands in the smack bang in the centre of the battlefield. Uh, so you've wasted the points on the Windlands already, um, and then you've also wasted them again because... Uh, you've got to put it in the right slap in the middle. 
Yeah, contest so of champions. Go. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, and it is a contest of champions problem again. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. That is the end of the uh, Middle Earth Strategy Battle Games Rule Manual Designers Commentary. Mm, it is. It is. So there, that was good, and that's going to be by far the longest one we've got because I'm doing Battle Company next, and this is going to be really quick because neither of us are big Battle Companies players, and most of them are just straightforward. So I'm going to do the Errata. You're going to do the the Designers Commentary. The Errata is. Wandering Dwarf gets a movement value of 5 because it's a Dwarf. Happy with that. They, they made a mistake. Isengard, you get Urukais. Now have Urukai bows and not Orc bows, which is good. Most people have ruled that anyway, but that was asked a lot. Baggage train objectives. So this is very specific, and I probably don't want to read through this one. So if you play the baggage train, have a read through it. They've changed some of the objectives for it. Harry. So the designer's commentary for this. There's a few more things here. Uh, can you spend influence points to increase a reinforcement role? you can so that's always useful in the same mm. way that you can spend might for reinforcement you can also do the same with influence uh for the purposes of promoting wire models is it the starting war gear the war gear present at the time of promotion that determines what a model promotes into uh for example i start with a warrior of rohan with bow and then discard the bow and purchase a shield will they promote him into a rider or a rohan royal guard and it says they'll promote based on war gear they currently hold at the time of promotion so in the above example uh the warrior of rohan will become a rohan royal guard because they have uh, a sword rather than a bow. So that makes sense. Hmm. Um, can hero models purchase war gear that is not part of the armory or listed as unique war gear for the battle company? I think the clue there is in the fact that it's not part of the armory, and the answer is no. Uh, yeah. They're saying, can you purchase armor, elven cloaks, templates, pavies, etc.? Uh, how many points do broodlings add onto a Denizens of Mirkwood battle company? Five points each. There you go. That's good. Mm. Bridlings, five points each. Yeah. Uh, if I wipe my opponent's battle company out before either players achieve their victory conditions, do I still win? Of course you do. And in Tame the Beast, how do you resolve a fight, including a troll? Each side will roll their dice simultaneously with the highest single D6 winning the overall fight. Models may only still strike enemies that are directly involved with. So that's fine. And uh, heroes. Uh, models points cost added onto battle companies ratings uh, for a daring rescue scenario no and do models gain experience points for killing baggage ponies <laughs> no they don't uh, because they're a pony oh that's quite sad actually you feel you, you can see someone desperately trying to claim some experience points there look i slaughtered a pony i get points no you don't I'm sorry. i it's think it's a fair, a fair step in like <laughs> Say it was like a peasant battle company, so one of the like the ruffians or whatever like that, to go out there and to just to, to take down an animal that someone else owned as well, I think that would give you some evil experience uh, yeah. points. Actually, I think if yeah, if you're a hobbit or a experience point because suddenly you're a ruthless killer. Mm. Uh, if you're a hobbit that's battered a, a pony to death with a club, then then I guess you've earned some experience. But I, I guess that's kind of a sad, sad image to conjure up, so let's not focus on Okay, okay. Well, you're the one that gave the vivid image. Well, I guess I, I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, you did. Okay, well, there you go. Okay. So moving on to the Lord of the Rings errata, which is also not very long. The Gondor Bolt Thrower, which is sometimes the named Gondor Bolt Thrower called Avenger. <laughs> the crew change, it goes from two to three. So they get three crew now. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that's quite good. Part of the main reason for this is that I think the pack you buy gives you three crew. But I, it also, it does feel like quite a lot of crew, but it's also great because you get an extra guy to shoot stuff and it's less... That's a downside if you get shot. So um, I'm happy about that because I was playing with an Avenger Bolt for uh, not too long ago. So that's good. The Mordor War Catapult, which I also called the Devastator. So the Mordor Devastator Catapult, while we're giving it silly names, uh, change the area effect to read. If you get a hit against the battlefield target, 
All models within two inches of the target suffer one strength five hit and are knocked prone. This additional hit does not kill a target outright. So once again, I feel this is similar to that initial target one where people aren't quite on the same page with what happens when the area effects happen. This one's very clear. You don't get killed outright with a strength five hit. Yeah, and I, but also the, I think the crucial bit here is that they've added if uh, in the uh, in the book it says if a catapult goes ahead against battlefield target all models within two inches of the target so one strength five hit full stop um so it doesn't say knocked prone so it's crucially added the area effect that they are knocked prone just to clarify that which is uh, which is a a good addition really because um i think everyone was playing it that way anyway i certainly was Mm. (laughs) but um yeah it's good it's good to make sure that you've added that because yeah, it doesn't actually say that in the, in the book. On the, uh, there you go, so that's good. Yeah, that, that uh, is right. Good. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it's just it's nowhere near as good as the uh, the trebuchet or things like that. So, uh, okay, so let's move on to our designers commentary. New stuff. So Legolas's Greenleaf, uh, Legolas Greenleaf's deadly shot special rule states that if he fires a single arrow, he will always hit on a two plus, and that cannot be modified in any way. Can this two plus be modified by the Shadows, Shadow Lord's Pall of Darkness special rule? No, because it says it cannot be modified in any way. So, no, the Shadow Lord's Pall of Darkness cannot be uh, affected. So, that's good. But also, I never thought about this, but if you roll a one, um, can you mite it? I guess not. Oh, no. Well, is that modifying? I think that changes your dice roll. It doesn't change the score to hit. I think it's still a two plus to hit, but your dice roll goes uh, from a one to a two. But I could okay. be wrong. I'm usually. That's a good way of thinking. No, that's a good way of, uh, of working around. You still use your mic. <laughs> For this one, I actually got it wrong because I did the age-old problem of I didn't actually read the rule. So I just assumed in the new edition that if you took a walk, you'd get a, a modifier on that, but you don't. So I might have mentioned that in the past before. If I did, I was wrong, and the current Jeremy is correct. <laughs> Fair enough. So as a king's huntsman always passes an in-the-way roll on a 2+, when they target a cavalry model, does the 2+, mean they will hit the rider or their choice of the rider or mount? Now, this one is interesting as well because I think this has changed and we've interpreted it differently Mm. in the past and some people have and some people haven't. When a king's huntsman shoots at a cavalry model, they must declare whether they are targeting the horse or the rider. So when a king's huntsman shoots a cavalry model, so I don't know if everyone can do that, but anyway... If they hit the cavalry model, they will hit the targeted part on a 2+, plus, so they can start sniping out horses. Uh, that's good. That's good. Mm. Uh, it makes sense for someone accurate. I guess for most people, it is just a 4+, plus, so uh, it doesn't yeah. targeting the horse or rider. Um, uh, but yeah, with him, that, that that's cool. I like that. It, it adds an extra thing to a model that I, I don't see in, um, no. in the game often enough. So uh, yeah, great. Cool, cool addition. Oh, look, there's something about the shade. The shade. Yeah. Uh, can a shade still use its chill or a special rule if it's transfixed or paralyzed? And sadly, yes, as it's a passive ability, uh, even though it needs to be activated at the start of the uh, fight phase, it still uh, still is active. So uh, that's sad. So yeah, it's um, so you need to activate it, which by the words implies that you're making it active, uh, but it's passive, so <laughs> it's always happening, even though you have to activate it. So anyway, uh, I think uh, tying yourself in knots there with uh, with the shade, but still, there you go. It's yeah, that's yeah. the answer. It should change it to passivated it. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I like that. Can a Deadmar Spectre force an enemy model to make a jump, climb, leap, swim, or dance test using their Fell Lighters upon them special rule? 
And the answer is they may not make an enemy model make a jump, climb, or leap test. Interesting, it doesn't have the swim test there. Because, however, they may make a model move into a water feature that will cause them to do a swim test. And they were taking as normal. Interesting. I so love this. Jump into the water. I, I love this special world because it's, it's clearly just taking that moment Frodo is pulled into the lights and falls in the water. Yep, uh, and yep. that, that makes, makes me think that Jay is clearly thinking very carefully about how he answers these questions and fitting as much theme as he possibly can into the answers. If it is just Jay, I'm sure it's other people as well. But I like that. Thumbs yes. up for that one. Makes sense to me as well. It's annoying when you get those situations that happen in the books or movie and then they don't pan out in the game. And it doesn't happen very often, but when <laughs> it does, like the old ring one where it's like, oh, no, you can't move through me because it feels strange at times. Like the whole point of, of Bilbo was that he was able to get past Gollum with the ring, but he can't in this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because he put the ring on, he could sneak past Gollum. But anyway, uh, yeah, there you go. So... We're on to the Balrog and multiple wounds, which I've encountered before. So if the Balrog suffers multiple wounds from attacks that would normally kill it outright, will it take half its total number of wounds from each successful attack or half in total as per its Demon of the Ancient World special? So it will take half from each. So it will take two attacks with the ability to kill the Balrog outright to do so. Yep. Okay. Yep, makes sense. And I've actually heard someone interpret that it's half of half. So you just keep going down which is a real problematic way of doing it. So this is good. It's clear. Can a watcher in the water displace models so they are forced off the edge of a cliff? Wow, this is interesting. Yes. And they will take fallen damage as normal. So a watcher in the water can you can peer off, can jump in the end of a cliff and push the models off the cliff. So yeah, if you're using cliff terrain, which I don't haven't really seen a lot of cliff terrain, to be honest, but if you're using cliff terrain, watch out for watchers in the water on cliffs. Watchers in the cliff waters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. that. That's cool. I like all these fun situations that almost seem to never come up, but that, that it's giving you an option to try and create the situation that is allowed in the FAQ just for the fun of being able to be created. <laughs> so that's nice. Uh, and it's a similar one. Can the watch in the water displace models so they're forced off the edge of the board? Sadly, no. Um, but yeah, I guess that's um, mm. Oh, and there's another watcher in the water one. Shall I finish off? Yes. Uh, can a watcher in the water shoot models it is engaged combat with? Yes. Mm. Uh, additionally, the watcher will not need to take it in the way roll to see if it hits itself. Because, of course, if it hits itself, it will drag itself into combat, and that will be very confusing. Oh, yeah, that would be confusing. Yeah, the watcher, the watcher in the water has got a bit of a, a renaissance in our area because it, it's, oh, I don't want to let in too much, but it's a good model. It just disrupts things, doesn't it, so well, which I like. So it's good. Yeah, it's one of those ones that you can get around the Tom Bombadil stuff because you can drag the models away from those sort of auras, which is really, really handy for the evil player that doesn't have a lot of tools to do that. Nice, nice. That is good. This is your one, Candice Chariot one. If you're riding a Candice Chariot and you're involved in a heroic combat, can you charge? Yes. You can use your chariot to yes. charge. Yeah, yeah. So this is good because um, I, I think people have said this to me before. You know, if you've got... A and you're heroic combating, and you, you just move, and you don't get the uh, the trample hits again. Uh, and I was like, well, no, that doesn't make sense because like it's not like you're jumping off the chariot and like pushing it or something. Uh, you're still moving in the same way, so it makes sense that you also get your hits. And it's saying yes, you get your chariot charge, you get your trample, I guess. And um, so that's good, um, which I'm very excited about. And there, there and there are a couple of um, uh, chariot clarifications above there that have been dealt with before about the things we mentioned earlier about the courage checks and stuff. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, it's it's nice to know that you can still get that charge and that people uh, no longer can debate that with me. <laughs> the next one is, if a model on a war camel kills a model, it charges with the impaler rule and then charges another model, will it inflict a strength 
4 hit on this model too? Yes, it will. And this is the one that there is, is scary because the, the camel's strength 4 hit is pretty good. And to be able to mm-hmm. keep going and to keep impaling while you've still got like bodies and bodies on the tusks are going to be pretty deadly. So that, that is scary, but it, it is what it is. There's another war yeah. camel one. Oh, go on. In addition to that, you also, uh, just worth clarifying, you get the hit on both. Hit on the horse and rider is, is very good. And that's how we've always played those ones because you're hitting them simultaneously. So, yeah, that, that is good. And then, But you do gain no benefits when charging model defending a barrier. So you don't get it against that. So you can't strength strength or hit against the model if you're charging it that it's defending a barrier. Yeah, so that, that's, that's good. This one I think is very interesting as well. It, it comes down yeah. to a J rule. Can a Corsair Reaver within six inches of a Corsair Boson choose to automatically fail its courage test for its mindless killer special rule? The answer is yes. I talked about this on a previous episode as a reason why I didn't like the Boson Reaver combination. So they don't take that test, but they can choose to fail the test that they don't take. So I guess it's one of those ones where the wording was a little bit fumbly. And this, I guess it makes sense, but it's um, it's not what I, I read in the rules, interesting enough. Yeah, I mean, I must say that I'm not quite sure what it's actually addressing as an issue. So could you just walk me through it? Because I'm not quite sure what the situation is at the moment. Okay, so the way the Corsair Reavers rule works is that basically that they, they take a test to see if they you lose control of them and they attack their own models or if they get bonuses to attack. So the, the, current, the attack rule is good in that they're better at combat, but it's bad in that they must attack someone. So the bosun prevents them taking this courage test. They don't take the courage test while they're within six inches of the bosun. But the way the rules are right. written... I so I see. So from now, uh, you, even if you're within six inches, you can choose to automatically fail so you get the attack bonuses in your, char- in your fight. Yep. So instead of what's actually written, it's basically if you're within six inches of a bosun, you choose the result of the test. You still, you still do the test. You don't roll any dice. You just straight get to say, I pass it. Or I fail it. Great. Okay, that's cool. So it, it's it's it's, pro- it's probably a good rule. It's it's what it's designed to do because the boson was weird if you don't play it that way. But it's not mm. exactly what's written, so it's very good that it's addressed in a designer's notes to say that this is what it's addressed. And and I guess that that makes the the weavers a lot stronger and in combination with the bosons as well. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, which is strange uh, considering I, I can't remember what Jay's last army was. What was it? Oh yes, it was Corsairs. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. must have had some people asking him questions about how, uh, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, maybe it isn't clear." Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> On that one, do you think anyone's asked Jay why the Lake Town have a better defense than everyone else? Like, why all the other unarmed, un, sorry, undefended models with no armor or whatever are defense three, but the Lake Town, for some reason, their belt buckles must be really strong or something. Uh, defense four. I, I have seen people ask that question, and then I've never ever. Seen it, so I don't know what happened to them. They must have just uh, vanished into the ether of, uh, of Warhammer World's uh, storage units or something. Uh, yeah, it does. It, 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 I think it's whispered uh, in, in hallways and corridors of the, <laughs> of the Warhammer community, but never actually directly asked Jay. <laughs> yeah, we have a big joke about them, this Australian scene, because Lake Town was the flavor of the month for a while, because it was like when the Hobbit book came out, it was one of the most powerful armies in that one. And then when we found out that Jay was playing them as well and played Kylie in, in Articon with them, then the whispers got louder and louder about it. And we, we had the joke about that, the the defense of the, the Lake Town, basically some reason they count as having like full armor and defense for when they're basically wearing shirts and coats and things like that. It's an interesting yeah, choice. Right. 
wicker shields, which are wicker being renowned for being able to stop a knife or, or a sword. Yeah. I've got no problem with the shields. It's more just the, the unarmed ones having a base of four compared to like oh, yeah, a yeah, ruffian yeah. or a wildman or whatever that look to me like they're wearing similar clothes. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation, isn't it? Definitely. That's, basically, that's the they have the same armor as Numenorians who have like have a helmet, have chain mail. The same thing if you're wearing a shirt and a coat from Lake Town. <laughs> yeah, they're hardy folk. In they the, are. They uh, are tough. Yeah, they, they breed them tough in Lake Town. Fair enough. Yeah, that, maybe that's... The, maybe the, maybe their clothes are frozen still from the the lake, and it's just <laughs> solid. Like. <laughs> yep. Okay. I guess that brings us to the errata of the Hobbit. It does. It does. I'm excited about this is... one because you know how much I like the Hobbit stuff. So the oh, first yeah. one, Iron Hills Ballista, which I've got on my painting table. I can't wait to bring out this Iron Hills Ballista. Change the points cost of an Iron Hills Ballista to one one twenty five points. No, I w- haven't even got a chance to take advantage of it being ridiculously undercosted. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's quite a big jump as well. I think it is ninety points uh, before, and now it's gone up to thirty five. So that's a big jump for uh, for something. Um, I-, I wonder how he a- arrived at that the, the conclusion that it was exactly <laughs> thirty five points too expensive. But uh, I- maybe there's some mathematical uh, thing he's done. But I mean, it's I, I mean I. I- I, I think everyone will probably agree that the Iron Hills Ballista is is a very very strong um, thing, and it's kind of ridiculous that it was only a little bit uh, more expensive than um, uh, than a, a trebuchet or something because it's just got so many more special rules and, and stuff. So it's good. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm all up for this. We 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 saw it occasionally because we don't have a lot of Iron Hills armies around, and and sometimes the people who play Iron Hills tend to um, they're playing it more, I guess, for the story of it than than to try and take the most optimal army. But it sounds like, mm. from what we hear about uh, the UK and and Europe and these sort of places, that that they are pretty common and they are they do sound scary and they do prevent you taking like like trolls and things like that that are very expensive. But this can just kill it off in one go. And yeah, I mean, I've played a few now, and they are really just really annoying. I mean, they stop shooting they're stopping everything there's so many different things that make it just and because i mean it's bad enough that their their um uh crew are high defense dwarves but then like you can't shoot at them so because of the the old twirly whirlies yeah and you know and so you can't even take a couple of crew out so you have to get to them and by the time you've got to them you've already taken a few hits or maybe lost a hero or or whatever and they're just they're really hard to counter um and so, I, I, and, and like you say, um, maybe in Australia because of uh, the, the prohibitive cost of, <laughs> of uh, Forge World Resin, um, uh, apparently over there, the, the, it, I can understand why you'd see a lot less, but they are pretty commonplace over here. I mean, I can't remember how much they cost. I mean, they're still expensive by uh, comparison of normal models, but yeah, it, it's that you do see a lot more considering their Forge World um, mm. Forge World models, which. Uh, so it's it's good. I mean, I'm I'm really glad that they've been upgraded just that extra. And I don't think it'll stop people using them. No, um, no. I think people will still use them because it hasn't affected the rules. But it does mean that they're that you know perhaps uh, just just that little bit more that you might struggle to fit in into your armies as as easily. So that's good. I like it. Yeah, you're basically down a couple models, two to three models from your Iron Hills army. I don't think yeah. if if someone's designing their play around this thing, that's not going to stop them taking it at all. But it does mean you just have to do a little bit less killing. And I, I do like this. I do like this a lot. Yeah, and and also I think um, I mentioned earlier, uh, I've been using heroes list plus 
plus a, a, a ballista. And um, it may be the maths that will be more confusing if you're if you're trying to do that sort of filthy armor. I, I think I can't remember who it was. Uh, there was someone who did a, um, a Thorin Dwalin on war goats and someone else and the Iron Hills ballista and uh, a Dane, I think it was. Uh, an Iron Hills blister, and I guess that'll still be okay, but maybe the maths will be different now, so it'll make it a lot harder for them to do that, which would be good. The other thing is, you don't like some people might genuinely like the model, and you don't want them labeled as someone that's taking like an unfair advantage just because a model's like much better than its points cost. So I think I think most players would be happy this. Even some of the the blister players, I think, would be happy that they're probably not going to be labeled as much as someone who's who's trying to optimize to get an unfair advantage. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Mm. I, I think that's that's a, a good. It's a good answer to, uh, and hopefully it'll actually stop the chatter about it because there has been a lot of just been so many kind of whisperings about oh oh you play what you're playing against next oh a ballista oh yeah sorry oh yeah sucks and all that and and like you say the people who do want to have a nice army of iron hills have kind of been loath to take it over here a little bit because I mean it's put, to be honest even the fact that it's been slightly filthy has put me off it. Because I want to do an Iron Hills army, and I was like, oh, I, I don't really want to take an ballista because I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, yep. On to the, uh, the Prince of Mirkwood, who mm. now has an Elven Cloak at five points rather than ten, I think it was. Yeah, so yep, which is in line with the other ones. That's fine. It's Especially because Elven Cloaks aren't as good as they used to be. You can't hide behind friends, so I think five's much more reasonable. You can't use it on horse. Yep, you take it if you're yeah. And uh, the last two are slightly odd ones. Um, gas, uh, magical uh, power, change of range of nature after three inches earlier. So that's just in line with the, the main rule book. Um, and the good armies alliance matrix. This was a funny one because um, the matrixes were different in the Hobbit and the uh, army of the Lord of Rings. So people yep. weren't sure whether the Shire was uh, allies with the Rangers or um, uh, historical allies, allies with Rangers or Rivendell because you could kind of choose. <laughs> so uh, it, you could choose, oh, well, I want them to be uh, allies with, with uh, Rivendell because um, I want that army. Uh, so you chose out of the Hobbit book or you wanted them with the Rangers. So you chose out the army book. Well, it's confirmed that uh, your historical allies with the Rangers rather than uh, Rivendell and convenient allies with Rivendell if you want to take an army of the Shire. Yep, yep, yep. And this is another one that people tongue-in-cheek said, oh, Jay must be wanting to ally in some two-attack rangers in with them. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's good that I, it's clear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes and it doesn't sort of ruin the alliance with the elves as well, because I know there's a guy I spoke to on the podcast before who, who regularly takes hobbits with Rivendell, and it's not going to ruin his army no. at all. Uh, um, but it's still going to... Because if you still want to have hobbits backed up by elven spears, then you can. Um, yes. You just don't get the bow bonus or the wooden creature bonus, which is not exactly a massive downside if you can. No, considering how good spear support high fight is, yeah, it's not it's not <laughs> yeah, downside exactly. at all. No, it's and the hobbits are so cheap that having some yeah some spear arm bells is a good idea. So we move on to the designer's commentary for it, and we have Bofa, which is an interesting one. This is this one got me a bit of excited as well. Bofa uses his steadfast special rule to negate the effects of Rafa Bruinen or Nature's Wrath. Will it still affect other models in range, or is it negated entirely? Does he just stop the tram- trampling horse water guys? It is negated entirely. So unlike Protection of the Valor, this just stops it. So Bofa is the Castellan of the good side. He sits there, and you yeah. take him in there so you can stop Rafa Bruinen. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a great uh, great answer if if this was before the uh, Rafa Bruinen and, and Nature's Wrath had been 
uh, reduced in their range, then this would have been brilliant. We could have had Boffer with his stand fast and it would be fine and all good. But yeah, now now it's probably less of a draw. But it's useful to know that Buffer is a great answer to the uh, to that that mm. uh, 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 power. Yeah. I wish, I don't know, maybe Natchez Wrath, I, I would have preferred, I always preferred if it tested individually on models instead of just like globally everyone gets affected or no one gets affected. I feel like it would have mm. been better if like everyone, maybe on a four plus they get knocked down or something like that. But that's that's neither here nor there. It's not the case. Um, yeah, I know, what you, I know what you're saying, especially because here, heroes, uh, it would be nice to some heroes be able to resist Natchez Wrath, even though they're, you know, maybe have three heroes going, oh, you know what, I'm... They're all going to test because no, none of them want to be knocked over. But yeah, that's like you say, that's the way it is. So that's just mm. not. Yeah, we can't we can't do anything about that yet. <laughs> Except yet. you you can not go yet. and harass Jay next time you see him at a tournament and like just let him roll his eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've been noting things down. <laughs> oh, so the it. next one was uh, the Erebor reclaimed army states of all friendly Erebor dwarf models. Does this affect friendly Iron Hills dwarves that are taken as part of the list? <laughs> No, because they're Iron Hills dwarves, not the Erebor dwarves. So they don't have the Iron Hills keyword. Uh, so they, uh, sorry, they do have the Iron Hills keyword rather than the Erebor. So yep. they don't get the bonus. So no, that, that, I, I, I'm surprised that needed clarifying because the keyword thing is quite um, clear. But there you go. Uh, yeah. it, it, clearly, people are trying to get that bonus. Yeah, you just you have to have all the keywords. You can't if, if it says I don't mm. know like Mordor orc. You have to have Mordor and you have to have orc. You can't have one or the other. Good have both. Yeah. Yep. That's fine. Can both Bard and Girion take a Windlands in the same army, or is the Windlands unique? Well, it is a named siege engine like Avenger Bolt Thrower, so let's see. They may bo- both take a Windlands. Yes, they can. However, such an alliance will naturally be an impossible alliance, so they're going to rip them apart. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, that's fine. If you really want to take Lance shooting competition for fun uh, at a tournament, that's cool, but they're an impossible alliance. That's that's I like that. Um, so, yeah, cool. Go for it. Yep. Um, does Thranduil benefit from any part of the Blade Lord special rule whilst he is mounted? I think this is pretty clear. He doesn't. It's only on foot. Yeah, I, I thought it even says in the rules that he gets this when he's on foot. But um, but yeah. I guess from it's, someone has clearly asked Jay, do, do, do they get any benefit from any part of it? No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. May, maybe it's one of those ones that if you split up the sentence in a certain way, it makes it sound different as well. Sometimes you can word things differently. English yeah. isn't particularly precise in that way. Yes, and some and sometimes to be fair, um, uh, some of the translations. I know uh, uh, people uh, from Eastern Europe and uh, Germany and places that have asked questions that they're based on the translation. They thought a rule was uh, one way, and um, the because the German translation isn't mm. perfect or the the translate. So it, 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 it may well be something to do with that, and um, sometimes, but maybe it's just someone being desperate and asking the question. Could be, could well be. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, if Azog is riding the White Warg, do enemy models have to make courage tests for charging him? As only the White Warg causes terror. This is interesting. Yes, because the White Warg causes terror. I just assumed that was the case, but it looks like once again, maybe people thought you charge in the rider or you ignore it. Special rules or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I can. I mean, I guess, but I, I, I mean, I, well, I, I, I would avoid that you're suggesting there because. If it's you become, it's almost like you use best parts of the, uh, the profile, don't you, for a cavalry model? So yeah. if you know you're using its movement, so you're also using its terror, uh, and so it becomes part of the, the beast, as it were. So that's cool. Uh, another one: uh, Can models mounted on fell use its fell sight special rule for the purpose of charging? Yes, because the fell wag itself uh, knows it's around the corner. I guess, and um, I can sort of see why that would be asked actually, because if 
just because the dog knows that uh, there's someone around the corner mm. doesn't mean you do. Yep, yep. Um, no, so it's yeah, I, I can certainly see why that was asked, and I kind of I'm st- starting to think actually, yeah, it would make more sense to not have that ability, but I guess it would also devalue the point of having uh, fell wags. Yeah, true. But I also feel like um, in the book, especially the wags are more of an alliance rather than a like the orc is in charge and the wags just a, a beast. So I feel like if you go in the book version of it. You would the wire could definitely say we're going this way, and the orc's just like, "Yep, sure, thank you for letting me ride on you while we go and charge this model." Yes, that is true. I, I'm thinking probably more movie based for that yeah. uh, for that specific scenario, but yeah, in the books, they're more talking. Uh, so I think this is the final final rule, mm. um, final clarification uh, of the lot is if the spider queen declares a heroic move and then spawns a number of broodlings as part of that heroic move, can the broodlings also move as part of the heroic move? And the answer is sadly no. Mm. Um, which, which I kind of think is a bit of a shame, actually. You know, you're just sort of moving uh, uh, quickly along and then just dropping all these broodlings and uh, they, they just kind of stay where they are, which is a bit... Well, they still move. They just just move a bit later, which is fine with me. Yeah, yeah we, we actually had a similar situation. Tim took this army to um, to Masters and basically that was how we ruled it for Masters was that you basically you do a drive-by, so you drop them off and you keep going, and then they move later on because they, they didn't start within six inches of the Spider Queen. So mm. I, I suppose that makes sense in terms of that, yeah, they didn't start within... And, it, and I guess it's more useful in some sense. Oh, incredibly useful. You might, want to, you might want to drop them off and then let, send them off in el, uh, elsewhere, but I kind of think if they're broodlings... Yeah, no, no, yeah, I can see it either way. I can see it either way. I'm, but I, I'm happy to have it clarified in some yeah, instance. It's... And like you say, if, you, if, it's, if it's come up in a tournament play, then very useful to have it clarified, indeed. Absolutely. And then we go to Gondor at War, the Arata. There's one Arata here, so it's it's well done, not many. Dernhelm gets throwing spears for five points. Good. Okay, yeah. Did did they did Dernhelm not have throwing spears? I thought yeah. Dernhelm did. Oh, no, uh, Dernhelm's Eowyn, uh, uh, isn't it? I was thinking about Yeah. Them. No, no, and Eowyn, and I think it might have even been on the model or something like that. But, yeah, it, it's just I think it's just an omission. They just forgot about it. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, now there's a couple of uh, scenario-based ones um, which we can just yes. uh, mention. If you uh, streets the ministerial scenario, uh, there's some questions about where the trolls deploy, and the same with the how many uh, black root veil archers are required in the Battle of Pelennor Field scenario. Because I think it just says bring some black root veil archers, yes. and there's twelve. <laughs> so. <laughs> so there you go. No, it, I, I'm so glad. This is this is good because I I feel like these sometimes scenarios are overlooked, and this just shows me that that. The scenarios were actually done with a bit of care, and yes, they make mistakes at times. But there, there has been, they have been played at the very least, and there's been a decision made. And I do appreciate this because I feel like um, the actual scenario narrative play has taken off a fair bit, and people who are coming out of the woodwork saying they actually play it, and new players are playing it, and it's really good to just get these accurate. So good, very happy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than. Going buying a book and thinking, oh, I'm going to play through this with my mates, and we're going to play the Battle of Pennell Fields. It's amazing. And then it says Black Moon Vale, 12, 10, 5, 3. And I can understand the, the frustration at, at that if, you've, if you're just trying to play through the scenarios just with you and your friend. That, that's But it's good that it's it's good that it's there and it's sorted. I totally agree. Yep. Um, let's go on to Hurin. Um, mm. This is a good one. I like this. Um, do I still get victory points for wounding the, wounding the enemy leader if my opponent still has Hurin alive and on the board? Um, so, yes, you do. Hurin only prevents victory points from being scored for killing the enemy leader. Oh, so, interesting. So if you've, yeah, so if you've killed, um, I don't know, LSR, um, then you get the points. But if you've only wounded 
LSR, then uh, sorry, yeah, if you killed LSR, you get the points for wounding him, but not mm. for killing him. Um, uh, so that's that's useful to know. Um, yeah, which is so good because I know this is a question that came up before um, when I was playing with um, with uh, with uh, him. But um, yeah, I'm glad it's uh, I'm glad it's there. But I think I think that was the way it was play- being played anyway because it does specifically say killing. But yep. um, I had also uh, gotten it wrong, so it's it's good that it's there to just just re- reinforce the idea. I got that wrong as well. Yep, I just assumed killing was wounding as well. I just yep made made a bad assumption there. Well, or maybe it was a good okay. assumption. And maybe it's changed. Who knows? <laughs> uh, the next one's going to really upset David because he went on uh, and talked about how good Durnham was because she and Mary, well, so they could call to heroic actions. But that is not true. They cannot in the same phase. So uh, you can't do the, the old-fashioned um, strike and heroic combat combination where you basically move your high fight value around. Uh, you have to do it with other models, which you've got plenty of because you're Rohan. Yeah, I, I'm really glad this has been sorted out. Um, I because I, I know there's a um, there's a chap called Will who um, is playing right at the top uh, of, of the leagues. He's doing uh, in, uh, incredibly well, and he's played a lot of uh, a lot of Rohan at the moment. He's with the Riders of the Ray, uh, Riders of Thaed and Legion, and it was a kind of uh, mostly hero um, with a few Royal Guard. And Durnhelm was absolutely filthy, and um, it's. It, I'm so glad that this is sorted because mm. the fact that because combined with gambling and his magic banner of death, it's 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 just horrible that Merry and uh, Eowyn get all that that might back, and they can just do a heroic strike and combat turn. So yeah, I'm glad um, that it's it's been clarified. Because to be fair, the wording did make it you could do it because it's added some extra things about yes, you can use the might, but you can't. And so oh, yeah, I'm glad it's clarified because it's a bit of a complicated profile as it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we've got Elfhelm. Can Elfhelm re-roll his in-the-way roll against Cavalry Model for seeing if he hits a rider or a mount? Yes, he can. Yeah, so cool. That, sort of like That's the Huntsman. To know. Yep, good, good. Makes yeah, sense. it's useful to know. Um, I think I, I had Elf do something to me. So, But uh, it's good. It's, it, it's good. And something which I, I've been using quite a bit, actually, um, this is the Mummock War Leader. It declares a heroic challenge whilst atop its royal war Mummock, as per the Making of a King special rule in the uh, Legion of the South. Um, uh, if you're successful, who gains the might points back? <laughs> um, the Mummock War Leader or the Mummock itself? Um, the Mummock War Leader gets it. Oh. So I'm, I, 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 I kind of like the idea of having a Mummock with might, um, but I guess that's a bit of an unusual situation. Mm. But uh, I don't think anyone really thought the Mummock was getting might from it, but um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, that that that's good as well. That that's clarified, and most of these clarifications are, are pretty logical. A few of them are a little bit controversial. Now, there has been some controversy, Harry, um, on some of the forum discussions about uh, some some base sizes and some control zone issues, and I I avoided that for a long time. But I do want to talk about it here because it was wasn't in the FAQ, and I thought it might have been showing up in the next FAQ, maybe the one afterwards. But there was two things. Firstly. Um, people have discovered after many years that the base sizes for the 25 mils are actually 25.4 mils and an inch is slightly greater than that. No, no, inch is, is it inch? No, inch it's is a small, yeah, it's a smaller than an inch. Yeah. Yeah, correct. So what this means, there's a few situations that this can affect. Firstly, something like Tom Bombadil, you cannot charge models within an inch of him. Now, that means you can fit a whole base within that inch, and therefore, if you go by the absolute letter of the, l- the, the rules with no rounding whatsoever, Tom Bombadil can sit in the middle of six models that are on infantry bases, and none of them can be charged at all, under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. That, that's concerning. The other one it can be used for is 
when you're in the shield wall formation, you, you back away and then you check for your defense bonuses. If you'd have to have the incredible artistry on your um, rear guys because you back away an inch. It has to be in a straight line to touch the model because you're going an inch rather than 25.4 mils. You can't actually directly get one that's spear supporting unless you set up this slight diagonal formation previously, which once again is a little bit probably problematic at times. Now, most people I think play that you round the base size to be an inch and if there's a few mils here or there in those situations, don't worry about it. Is that how yeah. you guys play it, Harry? Uh, yeah, I, I've I've never never really encountered it. The only time the the base size issue has been a, a thing for me is when people are using a base size to a base to measure an inch, mm. and I've always went, "Oh, it's actually not an inch," but uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. And it's like it kind of it's only a few it's only a few mils out, but. Um, yeah, I, I think this, particularly the shield wall situation there. I mean, I've never, I've never encountered anyone who's going to be really too bothered by it. But I, I think you talk, you're getting into the realms of pernicketiness about um, geometry and maths and stuff that that really it, it's just starting to get a bit too beardy for my liking. <laughs> but I, don't, I just want to get, I just want to play the game, and I want to, I, I, you know. And when people start saying that sort of stuff, I think it, it's it's perhaps. Perhaps it is to written to the letter of the rule, the uh, you know mm. rules, um, uh, but maybe I don't think it's really in the, with the spirit sometimes of it. So I don't know, um, but I get it. I don't know where you come down on this, in particular the shield wall one, because that's uh, that's something that I oh, I thought that one that's, the that's the base sizes fudge. I yeah. think it's uh, for Tom Bombadil. I think you can get one charge directly opposite Tom Bombadil. So if Tom Bombadil standing behind Alrond as he likes to do, and Alrond's on foot. I can charge one mole into Alrond, basically the other side of Tom Bombadil. That's how we play it, and that seems to be the fair way. And even the Tom Bombadil players usually agree with that. One model, that's fine. Once you start bending it yeah, around, yeah. I mean, I can I can, I can see, uh, I can see people's point, and I get the the rules as written thing. Like if it's yeah. an inch, twenty four, uh, twenty five millimeters isn't an inch, so therefore you can't do it. And and I can understand that, but. I think as soon as if if someone said that to me, well, they were playing with Tom Bombadil in in a game in a tournament, and they said, "Look, uh, you can't charge any of my things because it's not point four millimeters smaller," um, then I just immediately think, "What an ass!" Like <laughs> I, I just just I just think, "Well, I just enjoy it, you know, play the game." And I get it, you win and be right and play the rules and understand that, but it does seem yeah. very pernickety because I know there was this um, situation um, on the. Uh, on the Great British Hobbit League Facebook page, where uh, a guy called Richard Woods posted a thing about um, the the spear lines and ter- terrain on either sides, and because of people's um, uh, people's the way the, the design looked, I mean, you have to look on the Hobbit yep. League because it's yep. hard to describe. Um, but uh, the, the, there was four hundred comments on this this debate about mm. uh, about it, and and I think some of it is legitimate. If you have a spear guy behind somebody then you can't charge everyone because there's going to be a guy with a control zone behind it. So I understand that, but equally sometimes I think you can you can play that you can play the game and you know get the FAQs and all this sort of stuff and make sure you're playing it right, but it can get in the way if you're really really trying to uh, follow the rules exactly. I mean, I don't think they're particularly designed to uh, to annoy us in terms of maths and millimeters here there and everything. Yeah, no, that's so that's know. That one's a totally different issue, and it's been combined to this one. So I mm. wanted to split that up because I wanted to talk about that one as well. Basically, that one okay. was that if you set up a wall, 
and one model charges yeah. that wall, it's allowed to charge because it, it enters a control zone. It can stop where it wants. It can either drag around and engage another model or it can stop. No one has an issue with that part. Yeah. It's the spearman behind true, it. True. You can put the spearman behind mm-hmm. it in a way that it doesn't matter what size the, the, the control zone is. If the control zone is an inch or a base size, this works exactly the same. You basically push that spearman as far as they can go without entering the control zone because they can't enter the control zone without charging. So you push them true. to the edge of that. Then, therefore, that model that's in front of the, the spearman in the combat can't actually join in because there's some distance. It could be a couple mils. It could be like it could be significantly more than that as well, depending on the angles. And this way, uh, you get a couple ways of playing it. Now, at the top tables of tournaments, I've definitely played it that we've we've followed the control zone rules, and it hasn't been an issue whatsoever. Like it just it doesn't actually affect the game that much, and it means the person with priority basically gets to choose how many people get engaged. You can also mm. play it as a bit of a fudge one as well, to a, to a point as well. Like I don't think anyone would say, I'm just going to totally ignore it and I'm going to come within, like I don't know, a quarter of an inch of your control zone or whatever, because that's too obvious. But when they're rounding and they're fudging it a little bit, people are usually okay with that as well. I actually think the issue with this one is that that, that model that wants to charge the model in front of it and it can't physically get to the spearman starts with an enemy model inside its control zone. And I think that's the issue. I would propose a very slight change on this one that says if a model starts its move with an enemy model inside its control zone, inside its control zone, so its control zone is active, it may engage that model. And I think that's... that's if, yeah. if I think that, that would solve this issue altogether. I think it would be... It's probably clearer than it is. I actually don't think it matters either way. And I heard some very... Um, uh, I don't know if people are confusing it with that that sort of one-inch Tom Bombadil thing, but there were some quite nasty comments on this. And I think we've got to be careful as a community that we don't go too hard on people who are actually just following the rules that are written as well. And and I've because I've played against this one, and the people playing it were not trying to get... like They're not trying to play a nasty game. We're just playing a game that... That that's how we followed, and that's what we agree on. I actually have a, a situation where it was more annoying, where people refused to back away an inch. They say, you, you, but they back away like a couple mils and say, yeah, that's enough. And you go, well, that's not in, that's not an inch. They mm-hmm. go, you're being pedantic. And it's like, well, I've actually got you trapped here, and this is a, a big difference in the game, considering I get double strikes there. And they go, no, 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 it's not. And you sort of show them the little template, and you show them the measurements. And I th- I've had a lot more issues with that than the people who following the control zone rules, which is, I guess. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I, I get your point. I, and there, there are different, and, and actually, and I did have a, I mean, I comments, but uh, I did have a read of some of the debates going on. And like you say, I totally agree. The, 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 the way that people have been getting quite mean and quite um, uh, too into it, I suppose, mm, into, yeah. uh, to put it uh, mildly. Um, and, and I think from what I gather, it, it, it makes sense. And I don't, I don't think it's the sort of thing I would ever, um, I would ever complain about. If someone said, "Oh yes, this is in this instance," you're saying like, "Yeah, they've got controls," and actually say, "Yeah, okay, that is kind of true. Yeah, I get yeah. that. That's fine." And mm-hmm. um, it doesn't bother me when people say that sort of stuff. Um, and and but yeah, it, it, it's it's better. I guess it, I'd prefer to play to the letter of the rule, but um, I'd also uh, well, I I'm happy to play to the letter of the rules uh, in terms of those sorts of things. But I would probably prefer to just just play and not really have to worry about that sort of stuff because it I'm in it for the immersion of the game, yeah. the, the law and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the the thing about backing away, I'm, I'm 
yeah, that, that's that's a problem, really, isn't it? Because you really definitely want to be backing away a full inch because it's a big deal. Like, if you're not trapped, and, and as, as you always say, you know, traps win games. And so it, it's quite <laughs> important if you're not or you are trapped. So, yeah, yeah, you've got to back away a full inch. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I can understand why people might say, oh, you know, do an approximation when it's clearly not going to make an impact if you're moving back your shield line or whatever. Yeah. And then you just shove it back a bit and not measure it exactly. But, um, yeah, it's a bit silly to to say, oh, well, you're being pedantic if, if you're only... If you clearly can't back away your full inch, but but yeah, I, I think this 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 was a a, a, a sad moment for the community yeah, in a many ways bit, yeah, because I think so. uh, people were getting a bit too angry about this, and it's a shame because uh, from what I gathered, some people have been using this these techniques for a long time because yeah. it's good formations and good uh, strategy, and that's kind of fine. Um, I don't really have a problem with any of it, but um, yeah, it's worth knowing that you've got control zone and it's an inch, so use that to your advantage if you yeah. can, and maybe. Maybe be less mean about people who uh, who are using it for, to their advantage. So as long as everyone knows that that's the case, then you can't complain about it happening in a game. Yeah. See, I'm a bit of a chameleon in that, like, I'm happy to play whatever whatever style because I don't actually think it affects the game that much. When I'm training, mm-hmm. like, like players up for like really competitive tournaments, I'll actually enforce it. I'll just say, "Did you know that this is?" what someone could have forced on you, just so they know that that's like, if a player does that to you, don't be surprised and don't be thrown off and, and chuck the dice mm. away or anything like that. Just say, yep, sure. I've got a tactic for that. I know what to do. Yep. I'll wait till I have priority and I'll set up this formation. But when I'm playing scenarios, which is most of the time, we sort of, as a player, we're doing a combined storytelling. So it's just like, what's cooler? Yeah. Let's put them together or, or whatever. And, and yeah. like, yeah, technically. I think that's I'm, important. I, I, yeah. You're making a good point about the uh, training of, play and just playing games and there is a difference and even in a friendly uh, instance even though i sometimes i i'm you know i don't care i kind of if somebody is playing a a game with me because i'm one of the few i was like the first person to play uh, lord of the rings in my area because since the new edition and been sort of playing a lot of games with people who've never played before so most of the games have been just pretty much just trying to engage people with the game and get get them mm. a basic understanding of the rules. But it's well worth saying in those situations, you know, oh, yeah, you make sure you do back away a full inch or, you know, make sure you're doing this right, make sure you're doing that right. And, you know, maybe not policing it in that game and being, like, completely uh, horrible or, or, or anything, even just saying, oh, yeah, just in future, just so you know that it's a one-inch thing, so blah, blah, blah. And then they know and they've heard it in the past so that when perhaps they do come into a, a competitive scene, they're not surprised that that exists or that and they might be like oh yeah someone did tell me that when i was playing when i was learning so i'm, I'm not as angry about it and i haven't based my whole mm. game around uh, that that rule not existing if that makes sense so, so yeah it's just worth knowing what's what i guess yeah absolutely and I, look i think as a as a i'm, I'm a hypocrite at times because i i've got annoyed in games before as well but i think it, it really try not to get annoyed at someone who's following what they believe are the rules as well because mm. they're, they're probably not intending to do anything mean or malicious. If that's how they've interpreted the rules, it's probably just that's how yeah. their group plays or whatever. So you just sometimes you've got to take a step back and just go, well, what if they've always played this way and that's how they've been taught? And then suddenly I'm coming in and saying, no, you're wrong and I don't want to play you because you're playing this way they've always played before. That can mm. that can put me in a bad light rather than, than them as well. So... Yeah, yeah you've yeah. got to be careful, haven't you? And and to be fair, it's one of those situations where it's very easy, as you, um, it's very easy for us to say in calm, ways uh, uh, in, a, in a podcast forum where you know we're having a friendly chat about uh, rules and stuff like that to say, oh yeah, this is how we do it, and this is how I'd act if someone did it, it'd be fine. But if if 
if it's one of those situations where actually if some if this is the final of a tournament and it's win or lose situation and there's a disagreement over a rule i can understand completely why people get angry about these things because mm. you're 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 it's a different situation you're tense and you're you, you want to win you're desperate for the blood and things like that so <laughs> i can i can understand how how it would vary but it's and in a way if it has remained hidden which it appears to a lot of players that this um, control zone problems and the inches uh, have remained sort of undiscovered perhaps for a lot of people then at least now um it's out there uh, certainly in this part of the community anyway so a lot more people are talking about it and therefore at least can come across it and be uh, aware that it exists as a potential problem that they might encounter in the game yeah i think so i think and i think if people react like very emotionally on the forum, good because then they're not acting that way in some in front of someone's face. So they've got they've already had time mm. to think about it. They've had time to have that angry reaction, and then they can next time they come out, they can just go, you know what? I've seen this before. I would prefer to play this way, and the other person can say, okay, fair enough, or whatever. It's not like surprise. I'm going to enforce this that you've never heard about before. Mm, exactly that, and that's the thing. If you never heard about it, it just becomes a bit like what? When you're making up these rules for. And then everyone gets all sad. Mm, they do. They do. That, but <laughs> not us. We're nice and cheerful here. And overall, we like this FAQ. I think it's good that, that these decisions have had some thought behind them. I, I'm disappointed that they've had to come out so quickly after the new additions. I feel like some of this stuff maybe just didn't get tested enough or, or there wasn't a realization that it was going to be abused so much. But overall, I'm pretty happy with this FAQ. What about you, Harry? I think I like the FAQ. Um, but I, I guess in... in with the playtesting, I, I don't know whether maybe they're not playing testing it in a way that um, really stretches the, the 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 potential for some people to really build dirty lists or, or look for the ultra filthy combinations. Because um, I don't know whether that's just a, a, the way that playtesters work, or um, perhaps people who are doing the playtesting are really keen on the theme, or I don't know. Um, but it's it like you say, it's a shame that that for the, the playtesters didn't pick up on the fact that. These elven lords are absolutely horrible. Uh, if they've got all these um, that nature's wrath and wrath of Bruin and, and the ways that you can use that in a horrible way, and that they kind of didn't become the fact that that's uh, that could be potentially abused in the game and become an overly strong element. But I mean, you can't blame it all on um, people who they, they, no. they be very difficult to um, to come up with every single problem that is potentially being faced and fix it early on. So it's good that at least it's keeping the game alive. There's an FAQ. Rather than being a community FAQ to answer these problems, there is an actual uh, uh, answer and it's all done officially and it's all good. And it seems, for the large part, to address some of the issues that I thought there were problems and clarify any issues that some people seem to have thought were problems. So, yeah, um, and there aren't any things that I now think, oh, that needs changing particularly. Still, the shade is a problem, but hey, you know, you can get around it if you need to. Yeah, I still think Imra Hill's 12-inch banner is ludicrous. But anyway, that is that is what it is. <laughs> it's a big banner. It's very big. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a whole battlefield. You might as well just say the whole battlefield and the table next door as well. <laughs> it's a good... Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But I, I like I like Imra Hill. <laughs> yeah, d- different scenes. We, we get here a lot more of Imra Hill than, um, than Shades and some other stuff. So... Yeah, that, that happens. Thanks so much for coming on again, Harry. So uh, this has been the FAQ episode, a bit of a surprise episode. I hadn't planned it in my, my schemings. It just showed up. So it's a bit of an ad hoc episode, but hopefully you got some enjoyment out of it. And if you disagree with us or agree with us or whatever, have a chat on the Green Dragon Facebook page. If you want to be brave, have a 400 comment 
situation <laughs> on the GBHL. Um, but yeah, if you do that, my respects to you. That's a yeah, I've never seen yeah, that group so sharpen emotional. Sharpen your knives if you're getting ready for it. I know. Yeah, sharpen your knives if you want to get into the zone uh, debate again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So thank you very much, Harry. Uh, and until next time, we have you on Traps Win Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.